I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as vampires, bloodsuckers, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. All right, guys, we're back to do even more vampire movies this week. Yes, we are. There were some of them that we wanted to do last week that, uh, I don't know, we just couldn't fit them in there. It'd been too many fucking movies. Yeah. Vampires are fun to do last week. It's a little bit fun to do this time. It'll, I'll take a little bit of a break on them, I think, after this. Yeah. Even in reading, I just finished uh, Joe Hill's Nosferatu book, which is about to be a TV show with uh, Zachary Quinto. They call it a vampire. It's a little different. It's more like a life essence kind of vampire. There's multiple dimensions kind of thing going on, and different people can pilot in between the dimensions, and they have different powers. Oh, okay. So this guy's powers, he invented a dimension called Christmas Land. It is near Pennywise's circus. And because there's like an alternate oh, world. Okay? okay. And he has a. So this is where Jack and Sally are? Yeah. He's got like a, <laughs> a Rolls Royce Wraith car. It's like a 1930 something. I don't remember what year. No. And if he puts a kid in the back seat, they can't get out. Like it's if they try to crawl in the front seat, they just end up back in the back seat again. And they can't open the door and the car will drive itself to Christmas land. And while it's doing it, it sucks the life force out of the children, puts it in his body and makes him immortal. This is the ultimate creeper van. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you expect from Stephen King's son? <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, true. The TV show looks really cool. You can actually look up on, I think I saw it on YouTube, because uh, he has to be a very old man, Zachary Quintos, during part of the show. It's them doing like the creature makeup to turn him into this bald old man. Okay. And he just looks like such a good sport. He's got his phone and he's reading something and scrolling while they're doing like latex all around him. And then they'll just start to do parts of it. And he'll put his phone down. He looks like he's talking. He'll help him do his makeup for a minute and <laughs> go yeah. back to his phone. But I don't know. That show's coming out on AMC, I think, soon. So that's kind of vampire. So that'd be fun to watch. Okay. So we're going to start diving into the films. For my first movie, though, I'm going to have to cover Near Dark from 1987 because, I mean, some people don't like it, but the ones that do like it love it. And this is a big cult vampire film. And, I, you know, I used to play Vampire the Masquerade back yeah. in the day. You played a couple of times me storytelling. Yep. This, this movie was always like the, the, the mood setter in a way because it really does kind of feel like that world in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's just like your dark, normal kind of movie. There's nothing flashy about it they didn't really go into vampire mythos they didn't even really um go with a lot of the normal tropes of a vampire film no it was Catherine bigelow wrote and directed it she had a co-writer and um this was her first movie she directed okay and the studio didn't want her doing it they didn't think she could handle it they were going to babysit her and they gave her five days to prove herself and they said they were going to remove her <laughs> apparently they were happy with her um and she was either dating or engaged to James Cameron at the time because okay. they did end up married and uh, she was writing it. She wanted to make a Western movie, but it's fucking 87 Westerns were gone. And the studio's <laughs> like, we're not really going to let you make a Western movie. And from what I read, it was James's idea. He's like, why don't you pick something else and make a Western version of that? Okay. And then you market it as the other thing. So she's like, I'll make a Western vampire film. And it really is. I mean, I said that about John Carpenter's vampires, but this one, I mean, this even has the showdown in the street. It does. It, it, it really pulls from, from more on the nose. Yeah. And there's gunslinging in it. Yeah. And like you got like the cowboys kind of, you know, um, she is the only director who has ever, the only female director to ever win an Oscar. Okay. And it was for Hurt Locker. So, I mean, she's come a long ways from this film. <laughs> it's got a damn good cast in it and I'll get to it as we go, but she was trying to figure out this family dynamic. And that's when James Cameron's like, why don't you use my ready-made family from aliens? <laughs> you know? So that's how they got Lance Henriksen, Bill Paxton and Jeanette Goldstein. And, uh, they actually tried to get Michael Bean to play Jesse at first, but you know, oh, okay. he didn't want to do it. So 
Honestly, Lance is Jesse to me, though. <laughs> he, he was fucking fantastic in it. It was uh, Dino De Laurentiis produced and distributed. Yeah. I think this is when he was like going through the bankruptcy period. Oh, okay. So this, I don't know if this helped or not. Probably didn't, because this movie and Lost Boys came out the same year, I think. Oh, wow. And they got very similar plots. Yeah. If you think about it, you got like the outcast boy from the, you know, he's on the outs of this family a little bit. He's a little depressed. Meets a girl. This girl is part of a vampire family that's kind of like the gang. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. There's, there's a lot, but they came out so close together. There's no way. I'm not saying anybody ripped anybody off. Yeah. But it couldn't have helped. Yeah. And Lost Boys, we said it last week. It's one of the greatest fucking vampire movies of all time, if not the best. It's like Waiting and the Slamming Salmon. <laughs> <laughs> the co-writer with Catherine Bigelow was Eric Red, and he did The Hitcher. Okay. Which I like in Bad Moon. I've never seen Bad Moon, but it's uh, supposed to be a great movie. The Hitcher fucked with me when I was a kid. You know <laughs> what I mean? It also had a pretty decent remake. It's one of the few movies that had a decent I've remake. I've only seen the remake once. But uh, yeah, they got together and they wanted to make a movie about gunslinger outlaws in the Wild West. So they made vampire <laughs> gunslinger outlaws. It would have been interesting if it was actually a Wild West era film, though. Like the only mm-hmm. like supernatural Wild West movie I can think of is Jonah Hex, which was fucking terrible. And that was like a shitty comic book remake also. That'd be interesting to see an actual horror movie in that era. Well, wasn't it, uh, I hate to say this, wasn't, wasn't the Lost Boys the third one? Didn't they go back? I may be mixing up my movies. Which one? There's a vampire movie with horrible, horrible sequels where one of them, they go back, back. I don't and know. it's a Western town. I mean, I, I kind of remember Fuck. that idea. I haven't seen any of the Lost Boys sequels because I hear they're trash. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I'm not a sequel no, guy anyways. Nothing, nothing good has done this that we're aware of. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple other fun facts. Uh, Homer. Joshua John Miller, the little boy in the movie, is Jason Patrick's half-brother, who was also in Lost Boys. Okay. And I don't know if you know this or not, but he's the guy that wrote The Final Girl. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, like, that's shit. So, when we were talking about that movie, I didn't even put two and two together. <laughs> I suck, you guys. I, I failed mean, you. <laughs> that was, like, your slasher movie. Like, we got to cover Final Girls. That's what Josh sounds like in my head, anyways. Uh, <laughs> wow, I'm so serious. <laughs> and And... I don't think anybody big did the special effects on this movie because, like I said, it wasn't meant to be this big, like, horror thing. It was like an art house movie, really. Yeah, there was nothing over the top effects was. They did some cool shit, though. Like, anytime they're running in the sun and they're just, like, fucking smoking, they actually have a series of cigars set up attached in, like, a pack. And the cigars have tubes running off of them. And that's under their jacket. And they light all the cigars and make them start running. Oh, okay. So that's how the smoke's just, like, billowing out from under their coat. It's a bunch of cigars burning. Now, you can see that a lot. And uh, I don't know, depending on if they were cheap or good cigars, that could have been a good or bad thing. Oh, shit. You know, it could have smelled terrible. <laughs> I don't know, five lit cigars burning in your face, because they said they used five at a time. I don't, I don't care how good of a cigar I it know, is. I know, right? That's probably fucking absolutely terrible. But yeah, they're really ambiguous on vampire mythology. When May bites Caleb in the neck, it was really hard to tell if there were fang marks or if it was just a hole in his neck. Yeah. But uh, I mean, Jesse has crosses on the handles of his guns and they don't hurt him. Yeah. And nobody, I mean, sun, that was the only thing, sunlight. I don't even That's, know if a stake of the heart would do it. Yeah, it just seemed to be the sun for sure. They definitely heal fast as fuck. Yeah. I mean, you don't see them heal, but they're always better when they wake up the next day. There was more Western tropes than were vampire ones in this one. Yeah, I'll give you that. Because you get a shootout on the streets, you get like a saloon fight. Yep. You know. That's you, what I was going to say when you were talking about earlier, like definitely the, the, the fight in the bar harkens back to that. Um, one interesting side note that I saw, you know how they always black out the vehicles? Yeah. Because the sun's coming up to drive. So Catherine Bigelow would do like military drills, like breaking down the gun blindfolded kind of thing. 
on the whole cast. So you'd put them in the car and they'd be talking about the next thing and she'd be like, and blackout and they'd have to fucking do it really fast. Oh, okay. And she'd make them do it over and over again so they could do the actual scene in one take. Yeah. So and those guys were panic actually, state and everything. Right. So they're actually proficient at blacking out the inside of a car. <laughs> I still don't get it. Like, how can he see when, when know, he's right? driving? But we start out the movie with Caleb, who's portrayed by Adrian Pastor, which I know him from Heroes. He's also he's on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Marvel show. But, you know, his name's Caleb in this movie, and he's out drinking with buddies, and he's really pissy and angsty about something. I don't know, because I wish I may, I wish I might, you know? And uh, his friends are like, they're all dicks to each other, and he's like, you didn't bring me a beer, did you? And uh, they, they all start checking out this girl that cuts the corner, and in walks May, who was portrayed by Jenny Wright, okay? She's done some other movies and stuff, but I... It's not anything I'd seen her a lot in. Yeah, I, I looked her up because I'm like, her face looks familiar, but I don't remember. She's got one of those faces where she looks familiar, but she actually wasn't. Okay. You know, to me anyways. But, uh, you know, he, he runs over there and starts hitting on her. He, like, he pushes his friends out of the way. <laughs> and uh, scene, I don't know if I like it or if it's cheesy, but she has an ice cream cone. And he says, can I have a bite? And she's like, a bite? And he's like, yeah, I'm dying for a cone. She's like, dying? Yeah. You know, and she's. You can tell she's probably out there just to feed. She's trying to lure in some, you know, dumbass, go take them off in a dark alley, eat them, and, and then peace out, right? Yep. And um, he takes her driving and sightseeing, and she says she's just off, like yeah. the way she's talking. And she says shit about, like, the you see the stars out there when those lights from those stars hit the earth in a billion years, I'll still be here. Yeah. Like, you sure not like other girls, are you? <laughs> and uh, as they're driving around, I, you know, I was going to say, I don't know why she didn't eat them, but this kind of comes up with later with the truck driver scene. Like you don't want to wreck the car, right? Yeah. But, uh, I guess she can tell the sun's coming up soon and she starts freaking the fuck out. Right. And, um, she starts freaking out for Caleb to get her home. And he's like, I'm not going to take you home unless you give me a kiss first. Cause he's a fucking creeper. He is, man. <laughs> he like, tucks the keys in his shirt, you know, and, uh, they start making out and she fucking bites him on the neck. And. I'm pretty sure she just runs off. I just remember he can't get his truck started. Yeah. And he has to run home. And his father is a uh, like farm veterinarian. Yeah. And he's out working on the farm on some animals. And the sister's out there. And they're like, oh, look, it's Caleb. And he's running. That's the five cigars burning. He's smoking already. So you turn really fucking quick from a bite yeah. in this movie, apparently. And um, while he's almost to his, his father and sister, this RV pulls up. And they fucking yank him in, and it's blacked out. And that's where we see our crazy fucking vampire family, right? Yeah. And Severin, which is Bill Paxton, he's fucking crazy in this movie. He's great. He, <laughs> he fucking, he just wants to kill him. This scene really confuses me. I watched it over and over again, and I even looked it up online. But Jesse's saying, you really got us good this time, May, right? And it's yeah. Lance Hendrickson, and Severin's like, Hey, what's going on, son? It's what's coming off your face. Clean off. <sighs> he wants to kill him. Yeah. Well, when he said you really did us good this time, I was thinking about biting somebody and letting them go. Right. But Severin's like, I'm going to kill him. And then she lays down, May does. And she's like, if you're going to kill him, you got to kill me because I just turned him. Yeah. And then they check and like, is this true? So why were they kidnapping him in the first place if they didn't know she bit him? I don't know. Maybe that was the whole plan was that she was supposed to flush somebody out and then they were going to come grab him and, and family feeding time. I don't know. <sighs> I don't, yeah, it's really interesting, but the sun's up and they got to get the fuck out because you can see that they smoke. <laughs> you know, maybe it was painful, but it's not as quick as some vampire movies, man. He was running for a hot minute. Yeah, it seems to take a while. But Jesse basically says that he's going to give Caleb a week. If he can prove himself in a week, he's part of the family now. Yeah. 
you kind of see throughout the movie, like May's trying to teach him how to feed and Caleb just won't do it. Yeah. He won't kill anybody. And it's kind of weird because, well, I guess they can't wipe memories in this one. I was going to say, why don't he just feed and not kill him? <laughs> but it's really interesting how they do it in this movie. May can feed him so he can drink vampire blood. Yeah. And that's a sin because every time he does it, he gets like really hyper and happy and he doesn't look like he's dying anymore. Yeah. So he actually gets like the nourishment he needs from her blood. So she has to go kill somebody and drink blood and then he has to feed off of her. And I know even at one point in the movie, she says something like, you got to stop. Or you're going to kill me. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, it's just really interesting. But throughout the movie, she's trying to teach him how to feed and you see the the clan's feeding methods, basically like Homer, because we're introduced. I kind of skipped over it in the car. Uh, Lance Hendrickson's Jesse, and he's like the dad like yeah. figure. Uh, Jeanette Goldstein from Aliens also is yep. Diamondback, and she's like the mom figure. Homer is, um, was it Joshua John Miller, which is Jason Patrick's half brother, and he's a little kid. He's like, H O M E R, say it right or I'll kill you. And he's just kind of like a little <laughs> asshole kid. Yeah. And they say somewhere in the movie that, do you know how it feels to be an old man in a child's body? Yeah. So he, he's older, you know, because Severin's like, Severin, which is Bill Paxton's like, oh, I'll get sick of hearing that shit. So, you know, it's, like I said, it's it's an aliens cast other than Homer. <laughs> yeah. But like I was saying, you see their feeding techniques, like Homer will make it look like his bicycle wrecked. Yeah. And he's laying on the ground and somebody check on him. He'll bite him. Uh, fucking Severin, you know, dresses up like a little Texan cowboy, <laughs> puts on some sunglasses, smiles like a dipshit and puts his thumb up hitchhiking yeah and uh picks up girls right so it fit his character so well that scene um i don't really know jesse and diamondbacks like feeding method because they ended up getting carjacked no and they just let the people in and didn't work out for the carjackers it did not lance hendrickson's so good in this movie and he he's kind of a method actor so like the stuff he was doing to kind of like get ready for the role like growing his nails out and avoiding sunlight and stuff like that just to kind of get into it it's pretty neat but while May's trying to teach Caleb how to to kill, you know, they get mad. They're like, oh, May can't just keep carrying you all the time, right? And somehow they get picked up by a truck driver. I don't remember how. And, and the guy's like fucking around with them. Like, and he's like, this is, this isn't a, that's a semi. This is a real truck. You know, it's got this many gears. And yeah. It's like, you know how to shift, boy? He's like, I hope you know how to use it. You know, and he's like making all these <laughs> jokes to him and offering smokes. And he's trying to teach him how to break a truck yeah. and, uh, and shift the gears, which comes in play later. Yeah. He's like, don't do this. You'll jackknife. Yeah. You got to hit the trailer brakes first. And, uh, May's like, you know, you got to eat, you got to feed, you got to feed. It's kind of dumb. They'd wreck the truck. Yeah. If he just like lashed onto his throat at this point. But, uh, <laughs> Kayla gets so nervous. He starts fucking puking all over the guy's truck. <laughs> And the guy locks it up and May and, and Caleb get out. And you'd think the truck driver, I mean, most truck drivers, the stereotype, they'd be fucking angry if you puke in the truck. But he's like, oh, you can't handle your shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> and messing with him and, and May has to bite him and At drink his point. blood. She kills him and Caleb won't feed off of him. So he eats off of her again. So he still can't fucking make up. Jesse's just going to rip his head off at this point, right? Seven, somebody, <laughs> somebody's going to. But while all this is going on, uh, Caleb's father, Loy, and his sister, Sarah, you know, they've reported a missing to the police. Uh, they're out, like, they're actually kind of on the trail. Yeah. Driving around trying to find them. He, Caleb called the house at some point. He even tried to leave at some point. He tried to get, like, a train ticket. He was short $3, and a cop thought he was high on drugs. And it's because he was kind of, like, dying. He needed to feed. He couldn't eat a candy bar. Yeah. Cop gives him the money. gets on the bus, and he ends up getting sick. And he had to come back to May. Like, that all happened earlier. But all that's happening, they're learning how to feed, and his father and sister are searching for him. And it's basically, it's the last straw for Caleb. And uh, they end up going to a bar. And this is probably the best part of the movie. It is. Or for me, at least, I agree. But they're in a bar, and it's kind of like your saloon scene. 
And uh, they're going to get this is his last chance. Like he's going to kill somebody in this bar or he's dead. And <laughs> fucking Bill Paxton steals the scene, steals the show the whole time. Yes. You know, he's talking shit. Give me the best glass, of whatever piss beer you serve these assholes. And he's ordering shots for guys and drinking it. And, you know, how do you drink this piss? He starts a fight with a bar patron. Well, yeah, because he's got the guy sitting next to him and he's like, uh, because he does, he orders everything and he's like, yeah, put it on this asshole's tab or some shit like that. Yeah, because he makes it sound like he's buying the guy a drink for spilling his drink and then he puts it on his tab. Yep. And the guy goes to hit him and he grabs Caleb and makes Caleb take the hit. And the guy's like, what the fuck? He's like, hit him again. I'm trying to teach the boy a lesson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm trying to think about how many people are in the fucking bar. But you got the bartender, you got this patron, you got the guy with the long hair shooting pool, you yeah. got the young guy shooting pool, and you got the one waitress, right? Yeah, that's it. And Jesse and Diamondback and Homer and May are all sitting at a table and like the waitress comes over and, uh, you know, drinks on me or something. And Diamondback's like, no, dear drinks on me and slits your throat with a switchblade. Just makes you think they don't have fangs. Yeah. And the blood pours out into like a fucking a beer mug. <laughs> so that's what they're drinking for that. And everybody's freaking out in the bar. Lance Hendrickson has a really cool line as Jesse in this part of the movie. Cause he's like, uh, don't worry guys, this will all be over in a, couple minutes which is about how long you have left in your life yeah <laughs> and he locks the door and i know that you know the the long-haired guy like severin gets in his face and he's like i don't i don't you know want any trouble man but you know trust me something trust to choke severin and severin acts like he's choking to death and then he kills the guy and drinks his blood that's when you get the Ugh, i don't like it when they hadn't been shaven <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he like burps all nasty it's finger licking good and somewhere in there, Caleb gets into a fight with the bar patron that was hitting him, and he fucking punches him and knocks him across the room in the pool table. He's like, did I do that? Exactly. And they're all making fun of him. So they have some super strength. You can see there. So the waitress is down. The long hair guy's down. The college-looking kid is freaking out, and the bar patron's knocked out. And the uh, bartender loads up a shotgun at this point, right? Yep. Fucking blast Caleb in the stomach. Doesn't take him down. He's just like, what the fuck? And he's bleeding out. And uh, I guess it's while he's reloading and all this, but I remember Severin ends up on the bar. Yes. And he starts talking shit and then he does this battle cry and then just starts slitting the guy's fucking throat with the spurs on his cowboy boots. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's fucking badass, but it's also pretty fucking, it's like visceral, like the way they did it. Yeah. It's not like, you know, if it would have had like arterial spray, like shooting everywhere, it would have just been like a normal horror scene. But it's the <laughs> fact that you just kind of see the cuts up here in the blood rundown that makes it worse to me yeah it's it's, it's realistic at that point yes and gruesome in that realistic way um and i guess the only person left to feed on is the young guy and it's supposed to be caleb and he looks around and he just says fuck it and he dives through the window (laughs) and uh, takes off running and caleb actually he looks like a predator he goes out after the window behind him because you can tell he loves may and he really does want to be a part of this family and he chases the guy down he actually catches the guy but he can't feed on him and he lets him go yep and they've swapped cars a couple of times. Like the RV's gone. I think they have a van now. I think they already torched the RV. Maybe it's, they torched the saloon or the, I keep calling the saloons. It's, they yeah. us. But the bar, they end up torching the bar with yeah. like the booze. Uh, Cause I've drank everybody dry there. And uh, I, I know that Severance says something like, do you remember Jesse when we started that fire in Chicago? So it'd be like the great Chicago fire. Yeah. Trying to, try to hint at their age a little bit. And uh, they end up picking Caleb up in the van and like, you fucked us. You let him go, boy. You're going to die. <laughs> and I, I don't know why they don't just kill him there, but they go to I a know. motel because the sun's rising. And this part's kind of neat because you got Jesse in there trying to get the room from an old guy. And this scene's kind of redone a little bit from Dust Till Dawn. 
Like, you know, you fucking asshole old man. Like Jesse says something like that to the old guy. Yeah. And George Clooney does that when he gets to the motel room later. Yeah. If you think about it, there's similar scenes. It's like, I recognize you. I've seen you in here before. He's like, yeah, I come to the shithole every 50 years. So this old guy <laughs> worked there when Jesse came through last time. Yeah. And he's trying to hand him the money and the sun's coming through the window. So it's a pretty cool scene. Like said, it's an art house movie. So you got the weird yeah. things of the sunlight. I mean, hell, Caleb, the opening scene's got a mosquito drinking his blood that he smacks, right? Like your blood sucker there. And uh, they get the room and they go to sleep and the police find the van, right? I guess the guy said, I saw the van or something. Yeah. And they surround the place and they start shooting holes through. And the sunlight's coming through. Homer's crying. Like they're all going to die. And they you have a shootout. You yeah. have another Wild West shootout. And Caleb says, give me the keys. And they're like, why? He's like, I'm going to go get the van. Like, you're going to die. And Diamondbacks like, says something like, we're just going to lose a pretty face. <laughs> and they let him go. He covers himself with a blanket and he runs out and he's smoking as he's running the van. They shoot him a couple of times, I think, with a sniper rifle, like in the back of the leg and shit. Yeah. And Caleb gets in the van, rams to the wall. The family crawls in. It's already blacked out. Yep. And um, they get away from the police. And everybody likes Caleb now. He just saved the family. You just bought yourself some time, boy, is what I think Jesse says. Yeah. Severin takes off one of his two spurs. Like, it's his brother now here. You can have the spur because he saved it. They're all about to die. So he literally has some more time at this point. And I'm trying to think, does anything happen or they just end up at the next motel at nighttime? Yeah, right? I think they just end up. We may get like some cutbacks to the family looking for him or some shit, but pretty much we just get to the next stop. Yeah, but we get to another another motel. It's, it's a step up on this one. And they're playing. Uh, <laughs> did you notice they said they're playing Russian roulette? Yeah. They're not playing like Texas Hold'em. They're playing Russian roulette. <laughs> and uh, Caleb and May you know, go out on the night together and they're just playing cards. Right. And I, I, there's nothing special there until Homer goes outside to smoke or something. Yeah. Over by a, the snack machine, by the snack machine. And he hears like a Coke drop and uh, he sees a little girl and it's Sarah. It's Caleb's sister. And he grabs her and he takes her in and, uh, into the room with Diamondback and Jesse and Severin. And they're all laughing. Cause he's got like a girlfriend. Yeah. And Diamondback's like, Oh, sweetie, you here with your family? And she's like, just my dad. Like, what room's he in? So we can let him know where you're at. Yep. And Severin goes to get the dad and uh, Caleb and May break in. Not break in, but they walk in. They're giggling, you know. And Caleb's like, oh, shit, it's my sister. And Lance, Lance Hendrickson or Jesse looks at him like, eh. And Lance, yeah. I want to say somewhere, it might have been in the van after the last hotel. But um, when he's putting the spur on, but Caleb asked him how old he was. And he said, let me put it this way. I fought for the South and we lost. That's right. Right. So he's at least civil war era, which is pretty neat to like kind of reference the time without putting a specific year on it. But you know, uh, his dad pulls a gun when Severn brings him in. He's like, guns don't hurt these people. And he shoots Jesse and Jesse spits the bullet back up and puts it in his fucking pocket. Yes. That part is so fucking funny. And somebody ends up opening the door and the sun comes through. Right. Yeah. And everybody has to cower and Loy, Sarah and Caleb make it out. Yeah. And then Caleb jumps in the back of his dad's like that truck and he's smoking a little bit and he's like, God, get me out of here. And uh, he's like, these people are normal, son. Normal people spit bullets back up. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to take you to a hospital. He's like, do you want me to die? And that's when Caleb starts looking at the tubes and the jars and the medical equipment. He says, dad, you ever transfused a horse before? Yeah. And this is, I thought this was kind of interesting, but kind of weird also. Cause we've seen Caleb get shot a couple of times and stuff like that. And it heal the, uh, they referred to him being cold. Like yeah. they're dead, but his dad gives him a transfusion, which I mean, just leave the mythos out of it. It's a neat scene. It's a neat idea. Like you said, if you leave the mythos out of it, it's neat to say, holy crap, if you transfuse the blood, you can actually cure the disease. Yeah. Cause they take it. I mean, that was, was the forsaken is another vampire movie where like antibiotics delayed 
oh, the yeah. curse taking over. And, and, you know, so it's like a blood disease. That was kind of interesting. We don't know the mythos yeah. of, of fucking near dark. So he completely cures Caleb of vampirism. Um, and he gets to see the sun. He gets to hang out with his family. They're eating dinner that night. His sister goes upstairs and he hears the swing creaking. Caleb does. He's like, dad, I'm gonna go fix it. He's like, you don't gotta do that now, boy. And he's like, I want to. <laughs> he goes outside and there's May. Yep. Waiting on the swing. And, uh, he's like, I can't be with you. And she realizes he's warm. Right. And yeah. he's cured. I don't know. Caleb gets mad and he ditches her. And then he realizes his sister's missing. She's not in a room. So May actually, she was a distraction. She, she had was. to have known. She was the decoy. And, uh, they went and got the sister. And Caleb goes to get his car and the tires are slashed out. So he has to get on the horse. So we got another Western thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Caleb starts riding the horse and he goes to the desert. He ends up on the road and the horse gets spooked and throws Caleb and runs. And it's because he ran up Severn. Okay. Yeah, animals are usually afraid of vampires in movies, right? Ghosts, demons, whatever the fuck. Yeah. They're smarter than people. And uh, Severn beats the shit out of Caleb for a minute, like picks him up and fucking throws him across the highway because he's got super strength. Caleb Dutton. Yeah. Here comes a fucking rig. Caleb gets on there, like waves the guy down. Gets in it, says drive, and I get the Severn shoot the truck driver. I think he shoots and kills him or something. I don't remember. There's some gunslinger scenes. Caleb ends up driving the the truck and he drives over Severn, and then yeah. Severn climbs up, and that's your poster, like fucking meatloaf looking Severn, <laughs> and he's talking shit and he's hammering through the hood of the truck and yeah. pulling parts of the engine. I hope you don't need that part. Yeah, and this is and that, and that's when Caleb remembers everything the other truck driver told him. He purposely jackknifes the truck. Yep, dives out the door. The truck flips, explodes, burns, and Severn's dead. Yeah, there's your big action payoff. Shot. Yeah, yeah. That was your shootout in the street, really. Well, I guess we're kind of technically stepping to the shootout. Yeah. That was the the getting there. Uh, it was the mini boss before the final <laughs> boss. Um, but then the, the, the station wagon pulls up that's got Diamondback and Homer and Sarah and Jesse in it. And Jesse gets out, and he's like, I taught Severn everything he knows, boy, but I didn't teach him everything I know. And he's like, you shouldn't have done this to us. So Caleb's like, give me my sister back, Jesse. And he doesn't know it, but Diamondback sneaks up behind him. Yeah. And she's got her knife and she's getting ready to throw. And I think Sarah finds a mag light and fucking smashes Homer in the face with it. Okay. okay. And she gets out of the car and says, Caleb, look out. And this scene is fucking awesome. Caleb ducks because he doesn't know what's behind him. Right as Diamondback throws the knife and it goes in fucking Jesse's mouth. Yeah. And stabs him in the throat and he pulls the knife out like a sword swallower and spits the blood up. And Diamondback's face like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> And they have some more talking in the street and uh, as Sarah's running. And I think Sarah makes it by. And for some reason, Diamondback lets them go. I know. Like she, she like gives them like a chance to run. Oh, it's a Jesse pulls out his uh, revolver. And oh, okay. it's a Jesse can like, you know, he's a cowboy, right? So he can like have yeah. a little six shooter scene, I guess is what it's supposed to be. And he starts shooting at him and he's missing and the sun's getting too bad. Homer gets out running after Sarah and he bursts into flames and dies. Right. Yeah. So now it's just Jesse and Diamondback and they have to get in the car and it's not treated yet for the sun. And I think he says something like, it's been a good ride girl. And she's like, yeah, it has. Or one of them says it to the other one. Yeah, it's very Thelma and Louisa. Yeah. And they start, <laughs> they start driving towards Caleb and Sarah and where's May at at this point. Has she showed back up yet? I don't know. I, I don't know if she's just off I, to the side somewhere or what. Caleb covers May up <laughs> yeah. with his jacket. So she won't burn. And I guess uh, Jesse's trying to run them over. He's like, if I kill them on my way out, fine, but I'm not just going to stay here and die. Yeah. And Diamondback and Jesse burn up and they explode kind of big. I guess they're the older vampires. Yeah. And the car just kind of dinger, dinger, dinger. And uh, like I said, this isn't really an action movie. It's a Western movie. And we've already had our shootout scene. Yeah. And Caleb takes uh, May back to the farm and they give her a blood transfusion and she wakes up and she's human. 
and they go outside. I think it's just Caleb, May, and Sarah. And the credits roll, and they live happily ever after. Yeah. May better be giving up that ass now. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, at least give him that kiss he wanted. Yeah. Uh, the original ending, though, have you ever read that one? Uh-uh. So the original ending was the same thing, but when Caleb, May, and Sarah started walking out, Sarah started smoking and bursting in flames. Because uh, if you think about it, why didn't Homer just bite her already? I know, right? I guess maybe they're trying to wait till they got away, like, got got away to, from the sun. Yeah, right? got to some he, secure place. You don't want to teach a newbie vampire how to not catch on fire in the sun 30 seconds after you made her. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, hey, you're a vampire. By the way, that's going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and black out the windows real quick. Oh, fuck, we're dead. So... Like I said, it's not the most action-packed movie. It's not the most horrific vampire mythos lore movie. It's a fun movie, and it's unright. It is. It is worth watching just for Bill Paxton and Lance <laughs> Henriksen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's it's got its good plot points, and it's definitely probably the most artsy vampire movie I've ever seen. It's an, it's an art house film. Yeah. I mean, that's what... I mean, Catherine Bigelow is still this day. That's what she makes. Like, she doesn't make huge blockbuster hits. She still makes art house movies. The Hurt Locker. Even though it was about, you know, fucking soldiers in the war, it's still an artsy movie. Yeah. The only female director with a fucking Oscar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, she knows what she's doing. I do think it's neat how James Cameron kind of, if he actually is the one that said, you know, pick another genre and stick Western on it. Yeah. I think that's cool. But it is really neat that he he was like, here, use this ready-made family from Aliens. Yeah, that part's cool. Because they were, they were all great in Aliens. Game yeah. over, man. Game fucking over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't, I like it. It's it's not one of them that I watch as much as the others I talked about last week. Yeah. Like, it's not my Fright Night or Lost Boys that I just have to watch constantly. <laughs> I do make people see it if they've never seen it before. And I revisit it every now and then. Yeah. Well, like I had said before, I didn't see it until the podcast. And it's one of those that I appreciate it after seeing it. I really wish I had seen it back in the day. And I probably appreciate it a hell of a lot more. Uh-huh. It's one of them they try to remake in the past. I don't remember why it fell through on the remake. Oh, okay. I don't know if they should. I don't know. Like you said, it's such a, I don't want to say humdrum, but it's like a, it's a subdued view, so to speak. So like if, if you try to remake that and like Michael Bay it and shit, it's just not going to work. And the cast just kind of worked. And I don't know if those actors would have worked as well together had they not already just done a movie together. This is true. Right. So they already had that bonding. I mean, it was like you hired a group of friends to work on a movie. Yeah. It's like, this is going to be cheap. We got a weekend to shoot it. You guys already know each other. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think Catherine Bigelow has ever made another horror film. And like I said, this isn't that horror other than it has vampires. It's dark though. It is a dark movie. Yeah. You feel the dark elements of it. It's not one of those movies where it's like glamorous to be a vampire. Like he doesn't want to kill anybody. Yeah. And it, you know, they're just like a bunch of fucking like gypsy outlaws. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. It's dirty, gritty, just moving along, trying to survive a, d- a day in the life of the vampire type <laughs> thing. I mean, it really does have that like vampire of the masquerade mood setter. Like yeah. it, it fits into that, you know, that zone right there. And uh, it's one of the best genre mix ups or mixers that I could think of. Like yeah. it really does. It's not a Western, but it feels like a fucking Western. But I mean, I, I felt like if we didn't cover that one. We were going to upset some people. That is a, that is a favorite among vampire fans. (laughs) And, uh, I'll continue to watch it. I just hope nobody remakes it and fucks it up. (laughs) You know, you know, I am about remakes and sequels. This is true. This next one here. God, you want to talk about bad sequels, (laughs) (laughs) at least from what I've been told enough to not watch. Which is hard to hard to go into when you're looking at something that comes from a series of books. And right. that's Interview with a Vampire in 1994. Um, of course, the novel being written by Anne Rice and 
the original screenplay being written by Anne Rice. Um, she wrote it in the mid seventies mm-hmm. and they were trying to make this into a movie for like 15 years, like right. immediately. Like who was she pictured in a playlist stat? Was it Rugger Hauer? I don't fucking remember, but sure as shit was not, Bra- uh, not Brad Pitt. Um, not a uh, Tom Cruise. I think it was like Rugger <laughs> Hauer. She actually was pissed that they got Tom Cruise. She was very pissed. And then when she saw how the movie came out, she wrote an apology letter. <laughs> uh, he's fantastic. in it. <laughs> he was, he almost almost he teeters with over the top, but that's just how he is in general. Right. Um, I don't like him in this kind of a role. Oh, really? Yeah. I like him more. Of course, this may just be the eighties kid in me. Like top gun, give me top gun, (laughs) but this is the one part where I always freak everybody out. Give me legend. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fucking him. Mia Sarah, fucking Tim Curry. Give me that fucking (laughs) movie. movie. I'm going to find a way to talk about that fucking movie on this podcast. We can do it. Let's do a fantasy episode one day. I'm all Um, about that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Marvel horror star Wars fantasy nerd. So like, and I know a lot of people that like those same things. So apparently a lot of us like the same shit video games. You got the video games in there. There you go. So that was his first movie though. Right. Legend. Um, yeah. Um, he was pretty fucking young in it. I think he did it right before risky business. Don't, okay. hold, don't hold me to that. I have to look, but yes, it was very, very early in his career. And fucking Mia Sarah was like 15 when they shot that. Yeah. Show. But no, he, I felt like he played a good vampire in this film. He played the role, right? He did. He did it better than the sequel. Townsend, I can think of his first name, but he he did the he played a stat in the sequel and it just didn't work. Is that in uh, Queen of the Damned? Yeah. Okay. See, I haven't seen it because I've heard so many bad things about it. I've seen it a few times. I will watch it. It's. I feel like it could have been an, actually been a decent movie, um, on its own. Okay. Uh, you had a lot of problems. It it didn't fit in the same vibe as Interview okay. with the Vampire, so that fucked it up. Aaliyah dying when they were making the movie. Yeah. And then you know them having to like. Brandon Lee, the crow, but worse her into the movie. <laughs> um, and then they tried to like mash two books. Oh, into okay. one movie. It's, do you remember like the old Highlander show and yeah. stuff like that? You know, how it was like the plot wasn't necessarily the most important part, but you got the cool like fights and stuff. Yeah. The movie had that. Okay. That's all it had. <laughs> Cause the, they all had the super speed and the super strength and the flight. And you have like all the ancient vampires. Yeah. And Lestat's really strong because he, his bloodline's pretty strong. It's kind of vampire masquerade rules. His bloodline's like almost straight from the source, right? Okay. So he's more powerful than a normal vampire. And you just got a bunch of cool like fight scenes in the movie. Other than that's fucking trash. <laughs> but in this one, in, in the big picture coming from the books is this is from Louis's point of view. Yeah. Of course, because it's Louis's interview, um, Louis being Brad Pitt, um, Lestat being Tom Cruise, like we talked about. And then we're going to have a very young Kirsten Dunst, mm-hmm. who was fucking awesome in this movie. Um, and, uh, Christian Slater's the reporter. Yes. Which is actually real interesting. Cause it was supposed to be, uh, river Phoenix mm-hmm. and river Phoenix fucking died. And then supposedly, uh, Christian Slater donated his salary to two charities, um, related to river Phoenix. Yeah. I think there were two charities that river Phoenix tried to support regularly. So okay. interested Cause I mean, it's not a huge part for the reporter. Yeah. But, uh, so we open in San Francisco with, uh, Slater who I think in the books it's, uh, Malloy. I think they just call him the boy okay. in the books or something like that. But uh, we'll just say Slater. And uh, I'll be honest, as much of a reader and a vampire fan I am, I've never read the Vampire Chronicles. <laughs> and um, so he's interviewing Louie, and Louie thinks he's a vampire. At least that's the way Slater's thick is. Like, so what do you do? Do you run around in black and drink blood? You know, stuff like that. Well, he's making fun of him. He thinks he's a crazy guy that he's getting to interview, right? Yeah. And uh, so, and he's asking him, or 
he asks him about light and he's like, don't vampires hate the light? And he's like, we actually enjoy it. And then he does the real quick speed thing of flying and not literally flying, but quickly going across the room, turn on the lights and then quickly setting down. Yeah. And Christian Slater's like, what the fuck? And, uh, and like, you can, you can tell by his eyes and his like complexion and whatnot. Like he, he looks off now, right? Yeah, like to, he to just Christian did a, Yeah. He did a total 180. He's yeah. like, oh shit, I better mind my P's and Q's. <laughs> I don't know the dark presence that I'm, I'm here for. Um, now with the movie, it, there's a lot of narration. Um, there's a lot of visuals. Um, so I'm going to try to just go by, mm -hmm. this is how it goes down. Um, so I may bounce back and forth on that a little bit. So <laughs> it's like, where do you want to start? Do you want to start like David Copperfield? <laughs> I am born, I grew up, or do you want to start where I was born to darkness as I like to call it? I want to say this part of Brad Pitt in the movie, like the, the modern version telling the story, mm -hmm. I like a lot more than the other parts of him in the past. It is the best, but maybe that's just because at this point he's the brooding angel type. Yeah, and it's like, well, he's the vampire with wisdom. He's not a baby vampire. There you go. Point. But just the way he's explaining, like, how we love the light, but we miss it. And, you know, like, the, how do you want me to start it? And the way he talks and his mannerisms are completely yeah. different than they the are. rest of the film. He was fucking awesome in this movie. <laughs> um, I mean, I have to say it. And it's not because, you know, I'm into the guy or anything and not a slight against that. I'm just saying it really was a really good role. <laughs> he tells the story that uh, he's over 200 years old mm -hmm. and uh, that he was the owner of a large plantation. Mm -hmm. He lost his wife in childbirth. So he was all alone. And I guess the baby died, too. Yeah. 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 Sorry. He lost them both. And uh, and that was it. Like, I don't want to live. He was sunk into the seat, deep depression. Um, everywhere that he longed for death, he looked for it. And, um, uh, so he's out in this alley getting blown by a prostitute. <laughs> and I mean, that's what's going on. Well, there's a scene before that where he's in the, uh, uh, They're the, po the yeah. poker game and, uh, he's cheating on purpose and yeah, he gets caught. And the other guy's like, how many aces are in that deck? Or maybe I'm thinking of another movie, but what does the dude call him? I'm calling you a piece of stinking offer. I remember talking to my buddy Ryan about it when we were watching the movie and he's like, well, yeah, that's how the book was written that like in those times, we hadn't developed our ability to cuss the way we did. Yeah. And then it was, it stuck true to that. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. But I'm still weird. Doesn't the guy pull a pistol on him? He's like, you call me a cheat. And he, and like he rips his shirt up. He's like, just fucking shoot me. And yeah. the stat sees all this. Yeah. Cause he's up on the yeah. balcony. And, uh, but we get to him going out, out in the alley with the whore and this guy's coming up on him, fixing to kill him, rob him or whatever. And, uh, Lestat dispatches him and grabs <laughs> Louie and, uh, fucking starts draining him and is flying in the air up over this ship. And, uh, I it's mean, very just abrupt <laughs> it is. And, uh, it's full on and. Oh, the height disparity between the two of them, what they had to do. <laughs> oh yeah. That, that's, that's all Tom Cruise movies though. But, uh, so he drains him and he's like, do you still, uh, still long for death or have you tasted it enough? And of course Louis's like enough. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, Lestat says he's going to give him the choice he never had. And, uh, he lets him wait to turn and lets him see his last sunrise. And so, a lot, a lot of this is being told through narration. Right. I wonder if that line is in the book or if the screenplay writer and director took it from fright night. I don't know, but it was heavily rewritten yeah. because the fuck who directed this movie. Cause you think about it, this is what Jerry says, Charlie, I'm going to give you the choice I never had. Yeah. Right? Um, Neil Jordan, Neil Jordan heavily rewrote this movie. And that's what we were talking about in another episode where, uh, Anne Rice still got the screen screenplay credits, even though it was heavily rewritten because that's just how it, how yeah. it works. Whoever oh, the started, guilds work and shit. Yeah. And, uh, so maybe, but, uh, so he sees his, uh, his last sunrise and, uh, he turns him and we do the whole, the way it works in this one is you get drained to the point of death and then the vampire blood is shared with you Yeah, and then you die yeah. physically and then you're reborn. 
And that's probably honestly my favorite way to turn someone into a vampire. Yeah. Movies, books, shows, fucking games. Like to me, that way makes the most sense. But this is when we get that really fucking cool vampire vision. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he's trying to explain in the interview is like everything looked the same, but different. It was like yeah. I'd never seen before, but I had. And uh, we see subtle little things like the the eyes on the statue move uh-huh. and uh, and shit like that. But uh, so Lestat basically takes him under his wing. Yep. And as the movie goes on, you can tell that Lestat, for whatever reason, like loves Louis. Like yeah. he really needs a companion. And uh, Louis is too much of a pussy. To do anything else. Right. He doesn't know what to do because he, he was troubled. He thought he wanted death. Then when death was there, he didn't want it. And now he's like eternally damned. He's and really good at killing rats though. He is because <laughs> he's being such a pain about this that he won't kill anyone. And, uh, because <laughs> it it's like Caleb again. Yeah. He tells, I think it's Lestat tells him to bite the servant girl and he won't do it. And he's like, oh, and he grabs a rat and he bites it and drains the blood into a wine glass and gives it to him. And he's like vampires can survive this way it's like yeah if you have to on a ship or something <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fucking disgusting because Lestat's very like proper very pompous very French yes <laughs> yes he is and that's the you know this is very Victorian and you know highfalutin type thing and um, and that's what we see that that was um, Lestat's favorite thing was aristocrats he yeah. loved to get in and rub elbows and like kill the rich people yeah but their their blood was the best especially young ones yeah and uh, and they do that. You see that with some parties and stuff, right? Throughout the movie. Yeah. Leading up to the old lady with the young husband and the poodles. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's led away from the party. And so Louis with her and her poodles and Lestat leads away her husband or boy toy, whatever he is. Um, Dog walker. They have a very, very sexual feeling encounter between Lestat and that boy. I think it's very clear. I, I feel that Lestat's supposed to be at least bisexual. Yeah. In the movie. I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah. He yeah. just, it, the character oozes sexuality un, unbegrudgingly, I guess is the right word to use. It just, uh, uh-uh. anywhere I am seducing all it, and yeah. I will drink all of your blood. Damn it. It's really funny. Like <laughs> we always make fun of the vampire films and even like uh, James Woods character and, and John Carpenter's vampires makes fun of like the, you know, we're dressing like Victorian and like the ruffles and being all proper and, yeah. and all sexual. We always make fun of it. Except I don't mind it in this movie. No. Like, this, I guess it's because the, it's the it's time appropriate. It is. And there's a very good balance. And it does a real good job of showing the. I guess just the encompassing the desire. Yeah. That these beings can bring from people. And really, if you think about it, it's just Lestat that acts that way. Like Louis acts like, you it know, cause Lestat acts like a Victorian Frenchman and Louis acts like an American plantation and farm owner. Yeah. I he mean, does. like the, the, he, he's not like all flashy and pompous and seductive like yeah. that. And, um, I guess another thing to point out here is, is it is plantation. So Louis has slaves. He does. And they know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, we will basically get to that, but, uh, I got to do the dog bit. I just have yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's almost, he's kissing the neck of this old woman and he's fixing to bite her and the dogs are barking and he just throws her down and grabs the dogs <laughs> and starts draining the blood out of the dogs. Of course, Lestat comes running up and he's like, what the fuck, man? And he kills her. <laughs> like you're feeding on dogs and rats again. What the fuck, Louie? Um, but through conversation, um, Lestat ends up telling Louis that he was made a vampire in Paris. Mm-hmm. That becomes important later on. Um, but as you were saying, with all the dead bodies that have been turning up, the uh, 
the quote unquote help. Um, they're freaking out. They're like, is it a plague? Is it this, that, and the other? They have decided that their master is a demon. Yeah. Cause and, they notice that they don't eat and they sleep during the day and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think it's another time that he, he almost feeds on the servant lady. Yeah. And, uh, he carries her outside at, at the time that all the slaves have had enough. And they're like coming up with torches and pitchforks and shit. And he comes out the front door and he's like, you know, what you think is true. Your master is a monster. Yeah. He is the devil. And he throws her, her at one of them to catch and uh, <laughs> fucking grabs a torch. He's like, you are all from this day forward. You're all free men. Yeah. And he grabs a torch and burns it all down, Pookie. And uh, <laughs> Lestat is not happy. He burned our home. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. So like while this is going on, Lestat is like moved in and is poaching off of Louis' wealth. Yeah. He really is. Um, and I mean, I think it's already popped up at this point in the movie, but Louis is probing Lestat for the origins of the vampire. Surely How, your what, master must have told you this. He's like, why? Why would he have had to tell me? And either Lestat doesn't know shit or doesn't want to tell Louis anything. And Louis just wants to know. Like, he's like got this thirst for knowledge and rat blood. Those are the two things he gives a fuck about. <laughs> and uh, he's not getting his answers. No. And throughout all this, like you said, Louis still will not take a life. <laughs> and uh, we got to get to Claudia, but there is one bit. Um, Cause they're, they're basically at this point, they're kind of bombing around and just staying in hotels near the waterfront and whatnot. And there's this one night with these two whores and, uh, one of them ends up getting bit on the tit. Yeah. And then on the thigh, I think, but I just have to say this cause she, once she realizes what's going on, she's freaking out <laughs> and Louis like stomach is turning. He yeah. doesn't, I can't fucking do this man. And the stats like, come on, this well, is what we do. He's trying to make her just like torturing and suffering so that she'll beg for death yeah you know, like then you got it then you're the hero and he rips the uh the tablecloth off of the, what looks like a coffee table and it's a coffin and she's like oh and he puts her in it she's like is this a coffin and he's like well yes it is <laughs> and she's like am i dead and he's like you must be <laughs> and that's the thing about lestat is he's so he does not care right but some of his stuff comes off so funny um that's enough to keep you going where on right. the one hand it's funny and on the other hand it is deeply disturbing what he's doing to these people and he's doing it to, like you said, to fuck with Louie. And this is like, this for Tom Cruise is like The Shining was for Jack Nicholson. This is like his awesome portrayal of a madman. Yes. Like, because he's got, I mean, say what you will about Tom Cruise or and, and some of his political or religious beliefs or some of the movies. The guy has been a talented actor several times over in his yes. career. And he's got some really famous, you know, you can't handle the truth. And all these <laughs> but this is the movie where he is a crazy motherfucker. And he pulls it off. He does. The only other time he's as much as a madman is uh, Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> Different kind of madman, though. But uh, so Louis ends up wandering off into the rain, and he feeds on rats, and <laughs> he finds Claudia. I can always find you by the trail of rats, Louis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, so Claudia's this young girl crying next to her dead mother. Um, in the book, she's five, but in the movie, she's 12. Oh, that is even creepier. Yeah. Holy fuck. Um, I haven't read it either, but uh, in my research. Um, so Louie, out of all this shit that he's been given about not feeding on people decides, okay, this, this damaged crying young girl, this is the one I'll finally feed on. Yeah. So he does. And Lestat walks in on it and he's like, yes, look at you go. <laughs> and he even picks up, uh, Claudia's dead mother and is There's dancing. Still some life in the old dame or whatever. His dance yes. And, uh, <laughs> I fucking love Lestat in this movie. And, uh, He's such like a emo fucking edge Lord in queen of the damned. <laughs> it's just that that's my problem with it. They didn't like, not only is the movie a different vibe in the sequel, they didn't even fucking portray Lestat properly. I gotcha. But, uh, 
he goes ahead and turns uh, Claudio. At, or does it after he goes and gets Louis that he turns her? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't know, anyways, I have to bring up this point because he goes to he goes to Turner and Brad Pitt goes, no. <laughs> it's the worst sounding no. And me and my buddy Ryan, that was from then on. If somebody, one of us wanted to say no to the other one or someone, it was always, no. I'm going to have to look it up because I didn't catch that. Yeah, it's so bad. But um, he ends up turning her and uh, calls for the servant girl, lets her feed on her too. And he's like, slow down. That's enough. Of course, she was going balls deep with, yeah. with sucking on him. And uh, he's like, oh, you always have to stop before the heart stops. Yeah. And that's a fucking plot hole that's going to come up later. And I got, uh, I did a good bit of research on that. So maybe I can help with the explanation. I mean, it, it is a plot hole. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so we have years pass and Claudia is everything to Lestat that Louis wouldn't be. Yeah. She is ruthless. She's terrible. She has bloodlust like you wouldn't believe. And it's it's odd because she was turned so that Louis could have a child, the daughter that he lost and, and kind of bring him into the fold. But instead of her being like Louis's pet, she's Lestat's at this point. Yeah. The and manipulation it, did not go as planned. And she plays a fucking amazing psychotic 12 year old. Yeah, she's like great. What she needs to. Yeah, they do this whole multi scene thing of like she she kills the dressmaker while yeah. they're while they're making her dress, and the the guy giving her piano lessons and stuff. Yeah. By the way, in the biz, we call that a montage. <laughs> Sorry, that's the term I'm looking for. In case anyone hasn't noticed, I'm a bit under the weather on this one. Yeah, Josh is really sick. We we were actually going to record some of these a few days ago, some of this, and we decided to just wait and see if his voice recovers. But you're right. We get the montage of the dressmaker, the fat lady, the doll maker, and the piano teacher. The, the piano teacher being the best because the montage is set to piano and it yeah. keeps cutting back to her getting smacked on the hand mind the mind the thumb is that what he keeps saying the digits or something <laughs> and, I don't uh, eventually she's like and that's his fucking head hitting the end of the fucking keys because she's done killed she got him. the song down and uh it's like claudia what did i tell you never in the house <laughs> yeah Lestat's constantly getting angry with her because who are we gonna get to make this dress for you and stuff like that because she's supposed to feed but at least let the people finish making her product for you well so 30 years pass and she sees a naked lady in a window. Mm-hmm. Claudia does. And she's starting to put two and two together that she's stuck where she is. Yeah. And she's asking, you know, when, when will I look like that? Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Like, oh, no, no, you're always going to be like this. That's how Louis is. Lestat's a little bit of an ass about it. <laughs> yeah. More of an ass later. Um, but um, we see her back home and Lestat brings her a doll. And uh, she's like another doll. Cause at this point, like I said, it's 30 years later, her, her acting now she's acting like a woman. She's not acting like a 12 year old girl. And she does it well. Yes. And they even said like, she was so good because she was reading lines and saying things it, with inflection that she had no idea what they meant or why they were, but she was such a good actor at that time and directed so well that she, it came across. Right. Which was really good. Um, but she's like, Oh, you always give me a same doll. Um, the same day every year. And uh, it was the night that she was turned and she's got like a fuck ton of dolls on the bed. And uh, he says something like some of these dolls are old and worn out. You should throw them away. And she throws a hissy fit. And she's like, fine, I'll throw all of them away. Right. She starts ripping them off the bed to unveil the corpse of that woman. Yeah. And uh, she loses her shit. She fucking cuts her hair. She slashes fucking Lestat's cheeks with um, the scissors yeah. with the scissors while she's on this rant about how, you know, she's never going to grow old. And, uh, so she hatches her plan to dispatch Lestat. Um, she's had enough. Don't forget, like, she cuts all of her hair off and then it fucking grows right back out. Yeah. Cause and she's, she's like, I'll never change because she can't even cut her hair. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so 
Lestat's playing piano and she comes up to him and she's like, oh, I have a gift for you. <laughs> and his response is, I hope it's a beautiful woman with endowments you'll never possess. <laughs> and that's the kind of asshole he is to her about this. <laughs> and um, so she shows him these drunk twins and uh, he starts feeding on them. He's like, is that absinthe? And, uh, and Claudia's like, no, it's laudanum. Which I fucking looked it up and I forgot what that's actually the name for. And uh, she says, it killed them, unfortunately, but it keeps the blood warm. And he's like, you let me drink dead blood? Now, before we go into what ensues, yeah, he's the motherfucker who taught her, stop feeding before the heart stops. Right. So he should have known they were fucking dead. Um, yeah, but so so here, here's, I'm going I'm to break this down a little bit. He <laughs> thinks they're drunk and knocked out. Yeah. So- he thinks he's waiting for them to get to that point. And I guess, I don't know why I couldn't tell. I guess their heartbeat's still slow. They're just dead. Maybe they're brain dead. I don't know. But here's the big problem with it. Uh, Anne Rice makes fun of the scene still to this day. Okay. She says it's fucking dumb. This is not how the mythos works in the book. Okay. It's not dead blood. She's like, the fact that a dead person's blood just kills them is ridiculous. It's a dying person's blood because death comes and takes the person's soul. And if the vampire is oh. still feeding at the moment of death, then they get pulled down with it because they haven't been claimed yet. That's much cooler. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> and that's how it was written in the book, she says. And that's how Lestat explained it earlier in the movie. But in this scene, they're just dead boys. Okay. So death has already taken their soul. So it should just be fucking blood. Maybe it's gross. Maybe it tastes like <laughs> ass. Maybe it doesn't have the fucking nourishment. It's like drinking Natty Light or something. But it shouldn't have killed him. Okay. And she bitches about that. And that is a plot hole. It's a legitimate plot hole to me. But he, uh, so it's like, you let me drink dead blood. Put me in my coffin. Put me in my coffin. And Claudia's like, I'll put you in your coffin and slits his throat. Yeah. And uh, this he, is a fucking grotesque scene. No. I don't mean like, oh, I can't handle a baby. But like. It is a lot more visceral than they would have done this in a lot of movies. <laughs> and this is a part that when I watched this as a kid, once he hits the floor, I was like, the shot always looked weird to me. Mm -hmm. And then I was watching some behind the scenes shit on it. And when once Lestat hits the floor, you're looking at nothing but Stan Winston work. The, oh, yeah. The full thing is a complete puppet. Yeah. Um, 100% animatronic. Yeah. 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 100% animatronic. The face pulling in and, and drawing up all of that. 100% Stan Winston. And it still looks just like Tom Cruise also just yes. getting emaciated. And that shit is awesome. So with Lestat out of the picture, they plan to sail to the old world yeah. in search of their origin. And uh, on the night they're set to leave, they're at the house with like fucking sheets over furniture and shit like paranormal activity um <laughs> and fucking lestat shows up or no they go to, they let the birds out the window yeah, yeah they don't know what to do with them and, and the then piano lestat, starts playing right yeah right by the window and it's fucking lestat and the curtains have blown to where they can't see him um it's a really good shot um and he's creepy as fuck looking too like and he's zombie lestat yeah and he's talking shit to him and he's like how are you still alive and it's like well first the gator helped <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I, I, I fed on all the, the nasty things of the swamp or all the creatures of the swamp and made my way back here. And, uh, he stops playing and he's like, uh, Claudia, you've been a very, very <laughs> naughty girl. And <laughs> Louis sets Lestat on fire. Cause that's Louis's move. When Louis had enough, he just sets shit on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking pyromaniac. And so this takes down the whole house. They make their way on the ship and, uh, Luckily, the third act of this movie kind of falls apart, so we're close to the end. It'll be all right. Um, which I hate because it feels like there's so much missing from the book by the time we get to Armand. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's pretty complete. Like I, I think it's its own third act. Yeah. 
But um, it would have been nice to find out more of their lore and backstory, which that is like the only good parts of Queen of the Damned is the the fights. And then you actually figure out what led to what, where the vampires came from okay. and like the lineage and how it made it down to Lestat. And that part is fucking cool. <laughs> uh, so you got like cool lore, a couple cool fight scenes, shitty movie with lots of corn music <laughs> in it. Okay. Oh, God. Yeah. Lestat's in a band. And no wonder I haven't taken the time to watch this. Corn is the band. Like, so it's, I can't think of Lee St. Corn's name right now, but he's singing. Jonathan Davis. Yeah. So it's Jonathan Davis's voice coming out of this British fucking vampire actor. And it's, I never (laughs) got in that. And that it really, it, it dates the movie worse than anything else could have. Cause if you think like, I mean, I've never been a huge corn fan at all. Maybe a couple songs here and there, but they were very popular. (laughs) They're very popular during their time, but they, like them and Limp Biscuit and all that stuff, no matter how big they got and no matter how many fans they have, it was very much placed in a point in time that is very dated anytime you see it again. Yeah. And it, it, it did it in this movie. So I keep just bouncing in the sequel, like out of nowhere <laughs> rambling, but it's just like, it could have been so good. But, uh, so they search far and wide in the old world, looking for more of their kind. And they show, um, Claudia doing these drawings so you can tell they've been to like Egypt and all these places and they end up in Paris uh-huh. which is where the show just went to in the beginning because anyways that's where the stats from right yeah and uh, so one night Louis, Louis I keep wanting to say Louis because I'm looking at the fucking text um, in my notes but uh, so Louis meets uh, Santiago and Armand uh-huh. and Santiago does the whole walking up the Fred Astaire gag yeah, yeah what would- fucking movie Anyways, it's the Fred Astaire it, gag. It was literally meant to be a Fred Astaire gag. And he's like, he's, he's a mime. And, and I hate it because he walks all the way upside down and takes his hat off and does a bow. And he has long hair and he's upside down and he's got a cape. And the cape's not hanging and the hair's not hanging. Yeah, but I know he's a vampire. It's powers. He can do that. I'm okay with that. But still, it. it that's it, kind of an old vampire trick. Like, they even did that in Bram Stoker's Dracula where, like, the vampires defy the laws of physics. True. So, I mean. It makes it, I don't know if it was intentional, but it makes it creepier. Yeah. Because even, it's it's like that Stanley Kubrick shining thing. Like, you notice that his hair and, and jacket didn't fall, but I bet to a lot of people, they were uncomfortable and didn't know why. Hey, hey, I'll like, give you that. You know what I mean? Because that's the kind of shit that does that. But then you got fucking nerds like us. <laughs> <laughs> and we started bitching about it, and it was actually probably a pretty good idea. If it wasn't, it can be, it could be placed in the side as being a good idea to make you uncomfortable. Okay. So uh, Armand gives Louis an invitation to this theater, and Armand is Antonio Banderas. Yeah. And um, I was looking, I'd watched a thing that, like, these murder horror theaters were a thing, like, in Paris around this time. And uh, it's a really neat thing. And the the quote that gets used in the movie is, vampires pretending to be humans pretending to be vampires. (laughs) Oh, my God. Because they're fucking murdering people on stage. Right. Like, what they do to this chick, like, you know, they strip her down, they shame her, and then they all come in like vultures and feed on her. And everybody just thinks it's part of the play. I mean, there's even a woman in the audience that's like, you can feed on me. Exactly. Wait, you'll have your turn. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I could remember the actor's name because he's the one who does the upside down bit. Who's kind of leading the whole thing until Armand comes out. And he's awesome. And it's it's really neat because this is how Louis figuring out that different vampires have different powers. And he he's a mime and he can uh, read your mind. Yeah. And that's so he can mime you perfectly. So they get they get brought backstage and they kind of see how they're living and they bring out the feeding boy. Yeah. And uh, so Louis grabs his hand and there's like all these bite marks on his hand. He like turns it around like to the unblemished side of an apple <laughs> to bite him. The look on his face, too. He's like, mm, I'm not biting that. Yeah. And um, but as they go to leave, 
um, fuck, what is the other guy's name? Uh, Santiago. Santiago's like, who is the vampire you wronged? Because yeah. he's thinking about Lestat. And uh, he's just like, oh, shit. Like, let's get out of here because <laughs> this guy's reading his thoughts. And because um, he figured out, didn't he figure out that um, Armand knew Lestat? Has that happened yet? Because he starts asking him about it. I don't remember if he's told him that yet. Yeah. Because um, he, he's already, he's telling Armand, he at least told Armand that he wants to know about their past. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Santiago says, there is only one crime among us vampires, and that is to kill our own. Yeah. And they're like, oh, shit. And uh, and this is the part that I'm saying that I'm wondering if there's something left out of the book. Because real quick, we've got Claudia super jealous of the friendship between Louis and Armand. I just feel like, I mean, he's he talks about Armand a good bit to her in that quick little scene. And she's like, that's all yeah. you ever talk about Tim. And he is like, to me, it felt kind of time-lapse. Like maybe he's been regularly visiting him. Maybe. And, and that, I think that's all that really was to it. Cause he, I mean, he has this thirst for knowledge. He wants to know their origin. Yeah. Um, so Louis goes back to Armand and asks if Claudia is in danger because of the whole thing. Cause, yeah. Oh, cause he also gets told it, it, it's a crime to make one that young. Yeah. Um, and he says that she is in danger and that she should have never been turned because of her age. And uh, Armand wants Louis to bring him to the new world. And like, here I am in the old ways in the old world stuck here. You come from the new world. You take me with you. And uh, I want to see that movie. And he mentions <laughs> that he knew Lestat. Yeah. And it's heavily implied that he was the one that turned Lestat. I don't know if that's He's covered not. in the other movie. Okay. I think um, the vampire that made Lestat's name is Marius. And Marius was actually made by the queen of the damned. So he's like a second. Okay. Like, so he's like drank from the first vampire and then made Lestat. So that's why Lestat's that fucking strong. Gotcha. Because he's like almost direct descendant of the first vampire. So we've got, so while he's talking to Armand, we've got Claudia in Lestat style, like, fuck it. I'm going to go make another companion. Yeah. And um, she goes and finds this woman who had lost a daughter and turns her and immediately the theater troupe comes in and grabs yeah. her and Claudia. Like this bitch doesn't get to be a vampire, like not even a knight. And it's funny. Cause she didn't, to me, they're violating their own rules. I mean, hypocritical because that woman hadn't violated any rules. I know. Right. right? I, you're killing your own now. But yeah, I mean, I guess it was, she's thinking Louis would have a woman. Right. And then Louis would have the wife that he lost. Possibly. The daughter. And then Claudia gets a mom. Right, that yeah. she lost, and they just be a fucking happy family. And then they're <laughs> the blood abducted. sucking Brady Bunch. <laughs> yeah, the blood sucking Brady Bunch. <laughs> but uh, they throw them into the bottom of this well, and they wall. They put they put Louis in this coffin with like these big gear things to fucking seal it like a sarcophagus yeah. and wall him up. And Armand hears all this going on, but he don't do shit. So dawn comes, and they fucking get turned to ashes, which is another really good practical effect shot. Yeah. Um, with a little sprinkling of CGI. Um, but I'm always cool with CGI touch up on practical effects. Yeah. There, are they locked in a tower and like the top of the tower can open to the sunlight? Well, right? it's, it's like the bottom of a well they're underground okay. under the theater in the catacombs. And then it's like a grate at, at the street. I didn't even think about it being a well. I was thinking like a castle tower yeah. <laughs> for some reason. But no, I know exactly what you mean. And, uh, just another really good shot. But, uh, Armand after they die goes and frees Louie. Louis goes and sees what happened to them. He's like, you fucking asshole. And now Louis had it. Yeah. And uh, he gets a fucking scythe <laughs> and starts kicking over all these jugs of fucking some kind of flammable material. <laughs> to gotta catch burn it shit on fire. And the scythe was used in the play, right? Because yes. the mime guy, he's fucking the Grim Reaper. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, so we've got, they're being burned in their fucking coffins and there's fucking vampires flying out of their coffins on fire, flying every which direction and in these catacombs. cutting them in half as they dive on fire. Yeah. It's a really awesome scene. Yeah. He's going bonkers. And then Santiago comes up and he's like, oh, oh, oh I'm faster than you. And uh, he doesn't say that. It's, but not he's even, just, it's the mind reading. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he disappears and appears behind him. But Louis fast enough to understand what's going on. And as soon as he disappears, swings right behind him. So yeah. as he appears, he's fucking cut right across his torso. And uh, so Louis like, fuck this. I'm out. Um, he doesn't take Armand. He didn't kill Armand. Nope. Armand ends up grabbing him, saving him from the daylight as yeah. he leaves the place. And uh, but he won't take Armand. And uh, the whole fucking movie, we're cutting back and forth between the old story and him telling Christian Slater this yeah. and Christian yeah. Slater asking questions. So we get more back to the interview part here. And he talks about how he wandered around for years and eventually made his way back to America. And that the the invention of film or cinema yeah. allowed him to finally see the sun, first in black and white and later in color. And uh, by the 80s, he had made his way back to New Orleans and he's walking around and he smells old death. Yeah. And he finds Lestat in this old rundown house. And um, I got in my notes here. Lestat is a shadow of his former self rotting away in the shadows of an abandoned house. <laughs> Helicopter scare. And that's really what it is because he's in this chair and it's like he's a drawn up shriveled up old person type yeah. thing. And um, when this helicopter comes with a spotlight, he's like, no, make it go away. It's light. And um, it's really, this part bothers me because it feels like he just woke up and he doesn't know where he's at. I, he's like a man outside of time, but how's he been alive the whole time then? I feel like for the past, however many years he's just been sitting in that chair. And whenever a rat comes by close enough to grab, he's grabbed it and hasn't left that fucking chair. Cause this it was a crypt, right? Like it's not like it's Louis' old house or somewhere they live. It's right? not one of their houses, but it is an old house in a neighborhood. Okay, but it's an old Victorian house. So who knows? He's turned into Louis at this point, but he's scared of everything. He doesn't understand it's a helicopter. He doesn't understand that it's artificial light. That's what I got out of it. Yeah, that he's never he never ventured back out into the world. And um, so back at the interview, Louis like, and now we're here. Christian <laughs> <laughs> Slater's like. No, no, man, it can't end there. And uh, he's like, do what you wanted to do. Do what you brought me here for. You brought me here to turn me because <laughs> after hearing all this shit, he he's wants like, to be a fucking vampire. He's like, this is some cool shit. And uh, Louis grabs him by the throat and he pins him up against the ceiling. Do you like being food for the immortals? Do you like dying? And uh, he vamps up. He takes off. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Christian Slater goes and gets in his red Mustang, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, just like Friday night. <laughs> and... Uh, only this one's in much nicer condition. And uh, you mean it's not primer? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he throws in tape one of what he's done. I think he lights a cigarette and he's driving across the Golden Gate Bridge, which it, this is the first time they allowed him to shut down part of the traffic to shoot on it. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, he like he's like, oh, I actually fucking got this recorded. Thank God. Yeah. Somebody changed my shorts. All of a sudden, you see Lestat fucking poke out from the back seat and go, I assume I need no introduction. Or he may, <laughs> he may yank him into the back seat and say, I assume I need no introduction. And the car's like slamming in the fucking divider wall yeah. and he's just feeding on him. Hitting guardrails and shit. And uh, he's like, he gets up in the driver's seat and he pulls out his sleeves, like <laughs> making himself all prim and proper. And he's listening to the radio. It's like, Louie, 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 still whining. Oh, I've heard enough of this. And he turns it off. And he's like. So I'm going to give you the choice I never had. <laughs> and his like complexion's coming back to his normal vampire complexion. Oh, I want to talk about the complexion. Like the way they did the vampire makeup. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Cause like 
you know, we were talking about John Carpenter's vampires. The the master vampire had veins on his face. They're just kind of painted on and, and shitty looking. Yeah. But in this movie, they'd make the fucking actors hang upside down yep. for hours so that the blood would rush into the fucking veins in their head. And then they could just draw the actual veins on there. And it, it looks so fucking creepy. Like they got this translucent skin and the paleness. And I liked the, like baby blue eyes instead of like a red eye yeah. or a yellow eye. It was a good look like for vampires. It made them look natural, creepy and dead and alive all at the same time. Yeah. They felt, they felt classical and beautiful, but powerful, I guess is the best word I can come up with. I mean, it is one of the nicest mixes between like a dead and living being because vampires are portrayed so many fucking different ways in movies. Like sometimes they just look, they're all sexy and they look like normal people. Sometimes they look like fucking monsters. You know? yeah. Sometimes they're just like a pale guy with some cheap things. And, and I don't know, it was, it was a good way to do it. And, and like seeing John Corbin's vampires and seeing what the veins look like, if you just randomly paint them on versus like yeah. taking the time to hang them upside down and use the real ones. It's a fucking nice touch. And this was another one that I think it was, what, two years after Bram Stoker's Dracula? Maybe. That was 92, right? Yeah, I mean, they're both the 90s, so it's somewhere around there. Yeah, that was another bridging that gap um, of the old to the new movie making. Yeah. And uh, this one had a lot of CGI in it that was subtle. Um, like, a lot of the backgrounds weren't mats. They were CG, or they were mats, and then they animated some of them with CG. And that was the whole thing. They said, we don't want to see anything overtly in the special effects. Right. Nobody needs to notice it. If somebody notices it, we've, we're trying to do too much. And I feel like it's some of the better usage of practical effects in general. Yep. Like, you know, like it was the end of practical effects for the most part. But that fucking animatronic robot could have just been Lestat. Like, I mean, it could have just been Tom Cruise. Yeah. They did a good job. The fucking vampires flying out of the coffins on fire, getting cut in half. Like, it was all fucking very well done. Yeah, that was all wire work. And uh, it goes without saying that without this movie, we wouldn't have ended up with Twilight. Um, <laughs> God, it's funny that you say that because of my next movie. I know. I can't believe I'm actually mentioning that movie. But it was very neat, very powerful. And once again, the guy that's not into that kind of shit. I respect it, and I saw it along with a couple of these same fucking couple of years. So I got to talk about them. And it, just, it was a good slow burn vampire movie. I just I wish they would have fucking tried something better with the sequel. Even the way Lestat <laughs> wakes up in the modern world doesn't even make sense. It's like Interview with the Vampire never happened. Like, I don't I don't fucking know how people make this shit. But uh, my next movie, don't worry, guys, it's not a Twilight movie. I wanted to cover Thirty Days a Night from two thousand seven. I fucking love this movie for so many different reasons. Um, I feel like the cast was fucking well-picked. Like, Josh Hartnett is awesome in this movie for the the role he's playing. I like that the vampires are actual, like, fucking visceral monsters. Yeah. Right? Like, they're just, their eyes are a little slanted, and they got, like, the fucking shark teeth, and they're just covered in blood the whole fucking time. (laughs) I think the idea of attacking a town in Alaska while there's no sunlight for 30 days, fucking cool idea. Um, I read some of the graphic novels, so I'm a little biased on it. There's a huge, deep plot and like a network of vampires trying to take over. And this was the first strike. And it could have led to so many other things. They okay. made some sequel movies that were like fear net direct <laughs> movies. They weren't good. Yeah. Um, but the mythos was there. But like I said, it's based off a, a graphic novel that was written by Steve Niles. And he kept trying to publish this graphic novel. And nobody would take it. So he's like, okay, I'll turn it into a movie script. So okay. Then he started shopping it as a script and nobody would take the script because of vampire movie fatigue at the time. And all the studios passed on it. So then he shelved it. He's like, I guess this, I'm fucked. I'm not going to get thesis. <laughs> and then IDW publishing approached him and like, we want to release your comic book. Okay. 
So he releases the comic book and it was very well received. So now all the studios want it. Yeah. So he, gets, shit goes. he gets to make his movie. And uh, Sam Raimi read it. Fucking love the idea of it. Called Rob Tappert. He's like, you got to get me this shit. You got to get me this shit. And they bid on it. They won it. They got it. Because the ghost house pictures, right? And uh, yep. Sam Raimi almost directed it. I don't remember why he couldn't. But uh, David Slade ended up directing it. And I, I, he might have done some other horror movies. I'd have to go back and check. I'm pretty sure he did another horror movie that I liked at least. But he ended up doing like the okay. last Twilight movie or something after this. Oh, shit. That's why I made the Twilight oh, joke okay. earlier. I was like, okay. oh, Twilight's going to come up in my next movie. And I'm like, oh, shit. It sounds like I'm covering Twilight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but he got every scene he wanted in the movie. Like, I saw an interview with him. He's like, this is like the only movie that like, I, I storyboarded it. I'm making this movie this way. And I fucking made it. And uh, he got everything that he wanted in there, except for like a couple. Uh, they made him tweak some stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, when Billy dies. I mean, I'm going to get in the movie in a minute. But you know, when Billy dies. Yeah. They. They didn't like how he just fucking runs up and decapitates him. And uh, okay. so they added, they made him add the vampire screech. Cause like, oh, I don't know okay, if it's, okay. I don't know if it's apparent that he's a vampire to everybody. It looks like you're just chopping somebody's head off. I got you. So they got it. So he got to keep his scene. They just made him add a screech in the background and the screech is creepy. It's very, uh, that whole scene makes me think of the thing. John Carver's yeah. the thing like with the hanging head, uh, yelling. So that was really nice. And, um, he got an R movie and he said he never had a need to make a director's cut. Yeah. Like he, he got, got everything he wanted in there. So that was really cool. Uh, you might like this. The special effects was what a digital. Well, all the special effects and all the practical effects was what a workshop. Yeah. yeah, cause, Cause the movie was shot in New Zealand. Yep. Every bit of it. And <laughs> for being in the snow so much, there's only one scene in the entire movie that was actually shot in real snow. Yeah. The vampires, they actually got a linguistics expert to come in and come up with their language. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because so they like, weren't just like speak Klingon or something. They actually came up with something because lead dude like studied the hell out of it, didn't he? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Well, the guy, uh, Danny Houston, the main bad vampire, okay. he's like a director and a writer. And if you looked him up, I mean, I'm sorry, we prepped for this episode to be recorded three, four weeks ago. <laughs> so a little bit is in the back recesses of my brain. But he's actually directed some shit you've seen and stuff. So he's not yeah. only just an actor, but. He played a good bad guy in this. Marlo, I think is his name in the movie. Okay. But yeah, they're, you know, it's like a series like primal growls and clicking and it, it's an actual fucking language. And uh, the director's big thing. He wanted to make a movie where the vampires were actually fucking scary. And I think he pulled it off. Yeah. They act like animals. They pounce around. Uh, they're very primal. They're almost not zombie like, like in a way that they're stupid, but they just need to feed and they're yeah. always covered in blood and. And that's, that's the thing that I really, really like about this movie is that if, you know, if vampires come to town and are fucking, you know, going around dispatching everybody, they need to be covered in blood all the time. And in this one, they are, and you're right. They're very primal. They're very, they're not sexy. They're not mysterious. They, they're like monsters, but they're rooted in an idea that you know what they are, at least yeah. at vampires, but the, the rest of it's mystery and not mesmerizing mystery. Right. Like when the fuck is this thing going to come get me, mister? Yeah. And it's. <laughs> I mean, other movies have done like the primal monster vampire before, but it's usually like your, your, I am legend or something where they are monsters and zombies. This is the first time you've got like vampires that were monsters. Like they, they're humanoid vampires because really they got shark teeth, they're pale and their eyes were digitally enhanced to be kind of stretched to make them just not normal. The only thing I didn't like, I didn't like the eyes. I can see it. It's some of the characters like the woman, Marlo's girlfriend or whatever, Mm -hmm. like hers, I feel like are overstretched, but some of the other ones, they look fine. Yeah. Actually. Marlowe looks fine. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He looks yeah. great. Like if they would have just done it that for everybody else, 
But uh, just breaking into the movie a little bit, it's in Barrow, Alaska, which is supposed to be the northernmost tip of the United States. And they have a 30 days of night annual period. And it's said in the opening scene that the town of Barrow is completely cut off. There's no roads into it. There's just woods surrounding the city. So the only way in is either by ship on the frozen sea or a helicopter or plane ride in. Yep. Okay. And people, you either, you either pack up and stay for the 30 days, but a lot of people leave. Yeah. Cause there's no booze during the 30 days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> booze are illegal because people are depressed enough. Right. <laughs> exactly. And uh, we see a man, it's Ben Foster and he's standing out in the sun. So he can't be a vampire. Right. And uh, I think he's just called the man throughout the movie or the comic. I can't remember. It's something very subtle like that, like okay. the man or the hermit or something. And, you know, he's in his winter gear and he's really pale and looks kind of malnourished. and His lips are chapped and he's staring at a ship like, yeah. right off the coast. And uh, he just starts hiking through the snow and he looks deranged as fuck. <laughs> um, and then we we almost immediately cut to Eben and Billy. And Eben is the sheriff and Billy's the deputy. And it's Josh Hartnett. And uh, Manu Bennett, I think so you say his name. I fucking love him. He was on uh, Spartacus and he's uh, Deathstroke on the Arrow show and stuff. Man, he's just naming all kinds of shit I haven't seen. <laughs> he, he gets around. He's a good actor. Um, he gets around. He usually he usually plays uh, pretty badass action scenes. Have you you've okay. really never seen the Spartacus show on Stars made by Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert? I hadn't seen it, man. Oh, it's fair. You watch it. He's a badass. He's quick. It's on I there. Think the, I think the wife bought it and we just haven't watched it's, it. It's a good show. Three seasons. One of them's like a prequel season, but don't watch it first. Watch it when it pops up. Um <laughs> But yeah, so there, uh, there's a couple crimes that have happened. So like everybody has satellite phones because they don't have cell towers out there. Yeah. And they're all in a pit melted where they've been burned. And Eben's like, you know, makes sense to steal them. You could order a bunch of shit. You could run up a bunch of charges. Why would you fucking burn them? Doesn't make no goddamn sense. You know, and maybe it's kids doing a prank. And um, and fucking they're looking. There's like a ledge. And it's like, oh, Billy's like, this is where I brought my wife, you know, on our first date. And he's like. Billy, that's where everybody brings their wife yeah. on the first date to watch the sunset. And uh, they just kind of go on their ways. And you get that it's a it's a small town. Um, I know all, there's a family and their sled dogs. Like, all the sled dogs have gotten murdered. It's like every time Eben tries to make it back to the station. Yeah. And the station is him, Billy, his grandmother answers the phone. And I don't even know what the fuck his little brother does. But he's there, too. Right? Yeah. It's a very small town, a very small police station. And uh, somebody killed all those family sled dogs. It's like Mayberry in the snow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's supposed to be a blizzard coming in. For, so not only are you getting your first night of 30, there's a goddamn blizzard. So everybody's got to get on the plane and get the fuck out at this point. Yeah. I think it was before they went to the police station, Billy and even stop. And Billy's like, why even take the time to do that? And he drops the town's population from 563 to 152. Okay. And he's like, it's tradition, Billy. We got to do it, you know. And when they stop back at the police station, like I said, we get, to, we get introduced to the grandmother and Jake, which is Eben's brother. And, you know, not only have they had the phones and the sled dogs, you know, murdered, but now there's an issue with the Utilidor, which I guess is like the power station for yeah. Barrow. And um, it's a series of tunnels that are the sewers. It's the power for the city. It's the communications lines for the city. And there's a shredder in there called the Muffin Monster. Yeah. Right. And I guess it's for all the shit that comes through the sewer. It just fucking grinds it up. Yeah. That's what they, that's what they call those things. A little sidebar. If you ever watch dirty jobs, they go okay. through the whole thing of that thrasher. And that's uh, exactly what they professionally call them as, 
not professionally, but the vernacular of it's the muffin monster. Okay. So that's not just this movie. Instead of calling it turds and waste, they call it muffins and this (laughs) eats the muffins. So that's more palatable. But you, uh, you're introduced (laughs) to another character. I can't think of his fucking name, but he's like the town helicopter pilot. And I guess he does like helicopter tours and and gives people rides. And he's talking about how somebody fucking destroyed his helicopter, like the prop, the engine. We were right back to the thing again. I know. And he's like, you know, it's my goddamn life. Even, and he picks up a ranch or something. He throws something, the muffin monster and you see it just get shredded. Yeah. Like it's nothing. And, um, you know, so isolation set in now, like the, the town helicopter's gone. The sled dogs are gone. They don't have satellite phones. Uh, shit's getting a little fucked. Um, and it's nightfall. And, um, Somewhere in here, we should have been introduced. I probably fucking just glossed right over it. But uh, Stella. The wife. Yeah. It's Melissa George is the actress, which I remember she was in like the Amityville remake and a bunch of other shit. She's a good actress. I liked her this, but she's like uh, the town, like, I guess she's like a fire marshal, fire inspector or something. Yeah, something. And she's checking the town and somebody, you know, in town's like, oh, I noticed you made Barrow your last stop. I wish you and Eben would get back together because they're separated. That's kind of like, you know beaten in and uh somehow even finds out she's in town oh she's trying to make it she's like i gotta make it to the plane the last plane for it takes off yeah right for the blizzard comes in and the guy with the town snowplow accidentally fucking rams into her That's truck right. and totals it out so she calls even wanting a ride and he's like i've been calling you we need to talk and she's like well we can talk on the ride so he hangs up the phone he's like billy i need you to go pick up stella and take her to the airport and she misses the plane so she's stuck there too yep but we see like, the, I think we see our first vampire attack. They attack like a city engineer, like at the infrastructure place where all the communication and everything runs out of the utilidor. Fucking rip him apart and murder his ass. <laughs> uh, we see the strange. Oh, I think they call him the stranger. Okay. All right. So Ben Foster's character, <laughs> he's sitting in a diner and, and this is when oh, you hear the yeah. waitress. She's like, you can't have any alcohol. It's illegal during, you know, during the 30 days, people got enough problems without being drunk all the time. And he's like, well, I'll take hamburger meat raw. And she's like, we only serve meat here two ways. Was it like burnt and cut or something? I don't yeah. know. He's like, you won't give me what I want to eat. You won't give me what I want to drink. And he's got a really creepy voice when he does it. Yeah. And he stands up and fucking uh, even even behind him with the gun out. Right. At this point, I think he's sitting next to him at the bar, like trying to calmly talk him down. Yeah. And it, I mean, even like, let's just go outside and this, 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 and that. Yeah. And he gets super aggressive. And then Stella pulls the gun behind him. Right. And she's like, I don't want to have to watch even kick your ass up and down this bar. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, he's taunting him. He's saying some, he's like a doomsayer at this point. And he's like, uh, yeah. you know, death's coming for you. And, and this, 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 and that. And then, uh, I mean, the, this, it might be right at the scene, but essentially the town's entire power gets cut out Yeah, because they took out the guy, right. The engineer guy. And, um, they take the stranger back to print to the jail. Right. Yep. Um, so the power's out and he even wants to go check on the engineer cause he doesn't know he's dead yet. And he finds his fucking head on a stake. Right. Yeah, like so right. shit, shit just got real. And you know, then he's driving through town and he's like, go inside, lock your doors, arm your weapons. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking Alaska. They all got guns. And shit, right? Of course. And, um, Marlowe and his legion of vampires just start fucking attacking the town and killing off. Everybody. Everyone, yeah. One of my favorite scenes in movie history is in this movie, and I think it was completely done with digital effects. And it's the helicopter shot. The overhead shot. shot? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's an overhead shot if you've never seen the movie, and it's just the town and white snow on the ground, and then all the vampires were all black, and you just see them fucking running and people going and just blood going everywhere on the snow. It is an awesome fucking shot. Yeah, different splats go in different directions, and it was really cool. Um, 
not uh, sorry to cut in here, but like no. they did the town in a soundstage and then they did a little section of the main street outside and then did the snow thing and shot a lot of stuff like during the day. And then in color correction made it look like night. Yeah. And that's, they, that's the other cool thing. It's not actually shot during night. They did it with like filters and shit. Yeah. And they would repurpose the angles for what they had out of this little section of town they built to do all this and then some mats and whatnot. But uh, they did a really If you see the behind the scenes of this and how small the areas were that they actually constructed, <laughs> how big they made everything seem really came across great. I mean, they have made Lord of the Rings at this point, so they, they know what to do. Touche. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's just the fucking attack on the town comes quick because there's 100 and whatever I said, like 52 people or some shit. Um, yeah, now we're down to like 13. <laughs> if, if even. Um, <laughs> And we were introduced some other townsfolk earlier. Like we met, I think his name's Bo. And uh, he was like the, I think he drives a snowplow. He's the older guy. He's like, you don't have to give me a ticket. That guy. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's leaking motor oil or something while he's working on his truck. Yeah, and this is where you get that even really cares about the town people. Cause Billy, I know I jumped around cause this was way earlier in the movie, but, but you know, Billy was like, why do you even do that? And he's like, let's him know he lives way out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And this lets him know that he's a part of the town. Yep. And it's played by Mark Boone Jr., who was on Sons of Anarchy, but he was also in John Carpenter's Vampires. He's the guy that gets fucking cut in half. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just. Oh, crap. There goes. Sorry, guys. This is the beginning <laughs> of the end of my voice. I got to do my throat spray. And Josh has to do a whole other movie after this. Dun, dun, dun. He comes into play later, though. So I had to go back to Bo. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to think, like, what happens at this point? Because, like, they, his grandmother gets killed. His brother ends up missing. Uh, the stranger, he shoots the stranger in the jail cell and he's somehow, he's going to get turned to be one of them and stuff yeah. when his master gets here. And, uh, they end up finding what's left of the town folk hiding, um, in the diner. Right. Cause yes. like he, him and Stella go and, uh, they're attacked by Marlo and the vampires and, and Bo comes up with the snowplow. And the only reason why Bo was alive is because he lived out on the edge of town in the middle of nowhere. So they might've even fucking known he was there. Exactly. So that was the. That was a really important part about like, oh, I just want to be a part of the town. And they're able to escape. Um, they end up deciding to go to this house that has an attic that you can't see the latch, right? It's like a hidden attic. Yeah. And they're like, we'll just wait it out in there because they're assuming that they're vampires and sunlight will kill them. And they just got to wait it out, right? Yeah. And what we're seeing throughout the movie is down in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen is we see a little pop-up like night three, night seven. Yeah. So we've got an idea of how far we are into this. And, and I'm trying to remember, I thought I'd written down. The, the timestamps would happen. I think we're a couple weeks in at this point. Like they're already survived. Or at least when they get to the attic, they, they make the it attic. a couple weeks. In yeah. There. Um, and basically they have to move during a whiteout, which yep. is like when the blizzard's so bad that you can't fucking see. And apparently the vampires can't track them or something. Maybe they don't have like any kind of, I mean, I'm not assuming vampires have heat vision, but like I, they just don't give a fuck, I guess, for the yeah. snow. Well, it's definitely going to cover the sound of their footsteps. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're thinking like they're eventually going to have to leave this house and make it to the utilidor. I don't know why, like they feel like the utilidor is the safest place. Have they come up with that yet? Uh, I mean, it, it all comes up in the attic. It's all okay. kind of going on at the same time. Because, I mean, you know, it cuts between them just surviving and it'll also cut like Marlo eventually goes to the jail. Yeah. To the stranger. And, um, talks to him in the fucked up dialect and shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he fucking pops his head like a corkscrew and kills him. Yep. And Marlo orders all the vampires to not turn anyone and to remove all their fucking heads after they feed. That's right. Cause he does not want, I mean, they're trying to eat and get out in total secrecy. Yeah. They don't need more mouths to feed. And, uh, there's some, I'll get to the comic book differences at the end, but like Marlo actually had a master in the book that is not happy that Marlowe did this attack because the um, old ones 
pride themselves about living in secrecy. And Marlo's like, oh, we can feed and I can cover it up. And, and it's this big thing. Okay. And I'll get into that later because there's okay. some stuff that deviates pretty big from the movie. Or this deviated pretty big from the graphic novel. But uh, in the attic, I'm trying to think of who all we have living in there. Like you, There was the woman that worked at the utility with the two guys. They were trying to figure out whose house they're going to get drunk at and the guys got killed. Yep. So they're there. You got the one guy, I think it was the helicopter pilot. And yes. his dad, who has dementia. Yeah. And that causes a problem a couple of times because he'll wake up yelling for his wife who's not there. Yep. And then you got the older guy. I can't think of his name, but he's like the Anuit native guy, kind of. Yep. And uh, which even actually was supposed to be. So it was like a whitewash. Oh, issue really? With this a little bit. I can't see anybody doing it besides Josh Hartnett, though. Um, and, and he's there and his wife and, and daughters or, or dad. Right. We find out. Um, but this is probably where they come up with the utilidor idea. But they have to wait till they have another whiteout for cover. Yeah. And they live there for like a week or two. And they hear a woman crying for help in the streets. And this is really cool. And even peeks out the window. Yeah. And she's walking, screaming for help. And the vampire's like sneaking across the roofs. Like they're on the roofs just going. And and they're waiting for somebody to come save her so they can get her. And it's really fucking creative. And even like, now we got to leave her out there to die. And there's and, there's little little bits of cat and mouse stuff like this because I think there's the one couple that the wife gets pulled under the house and all that. Those that, that was the couple that owned the dog sleds. Okay, yeah, because yeah, that happened earlier. Uh, it, that was the original attack on the on the film. Okay, uh, one of the vampires dives through like a little window and barrel rolls, and they don't know what happened because he was so fast. Yeah, and he snatches the wife and goes out, and the husband's trying to chase her. And that's actually a really cool scene because all the houses are like trailers that are lifted up. Yeah. And he'll like drag her and sling her under one and run to the other side and pull her out. And the husband keeps trying to get to her. Yeah. And he gets scratched and stuff a couple of so, times. So at this point, we've seen the cat and mouse and them learning the town and shit. So by the time we get to this, it's very smart that they realize that it's a, it's, it's bait. Well, you got to think on a normal day, there's only 350 something people in this town anyway. So True. it can't be that big. Um, even, I mean, he's the hero. He's the sheriff. He's got to go save the lady outside anyways. Right. Even though he knows it's a trap. Yeah. Cause he knows it's a trap when he goes out. And John, that was the dog guy. Okay. Uh, he finds him under a trailer. He's like, Eben, help me. And he's like, I'm so hungry. And he's like, don't worry, we got food. And then he realizes that John's turned into a vampire. Exactly. So Eben's got to fucking run. And I guess, I mean, the vampires are pretty smart in this movie, but I guess since he's like a newly turned vampire, he's starving. And he's very primal. The one thing I will say is the vampires can't hear for shit in yeah. this movie. Uh, well, I mean, they're also <laughs> following a woman who's screaming, help me, help me right now. I know, but there's stuff later on in the movie where I take yeah, issue yeah. with their hearing. Um. But we don't know if they have like super hearing in this or not. And there's a fucking blizzard going on and who knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but Eben's running from John and he trips and falls over and Eben gets caught in like a swing. And I guess it's cause he's just like so primal urge needs to feed right now. Yeah. And Eben finds a fire ax and he just fucking goes to town and chops John's head off. So we know that decapitations work. It does. <laughs> it works in everything, right? <laughs> If you don't know how to kill something, cut its fucking head off. Um, but two weeks pass by in the attic. Isaac, um, I think that's the guy, the older guy's name, the senile man. It's either okay. the son or the dad. But he keeps waking up with his nightmares. And he, yeah, yeah. Because he's like, Wilson, get your mother. We're going to head out to whatever the next town is. Yep. And he goes downstairs because they have to go down. They, they talk about how they have to use the toilet and they can't flush. Yeah. And stuff like that. And, um, and I think some of the group's gone out to the grocery store for supplies at this point, and it's just Stella, Wilson, and Isaac, yes. right? And she gets hit in the head, I think, at some point, knocked down. and Down the, at the bottom of the stairs? Yeah, well, I think the old guy acts like he's got to go to the bathroom, and he sneaks out the window. So yeah. then Wilson wants to go find his dad, so then he hits Stella in the head or something, knocks her out, 
and then okay. runs out. And then Eben comes back in after just decapitating John and finds yeah. Stella, who like, he still loves. What? I was what gone the? five minutes. What yeah. the fuck happened? <laughs> I just killed one of these fucking things, and you guys can't take a piss without me. Um, and uh, I guess they're going to meet. Do they meet him at the store? Yeah, and the little girl vampire is in there. It's like, I'm done yes. playing with this one. I can't figure out if she's supposed to have been on the ship. Like if she was one of the original vampires or if she was a town kid that was turned. I'll give you a thing I noticed on this and I thought I caught it in the movie. And then in watching the behind the scenes, I saw it for sure. She has tattoos and they're like tribal. Exactly. So I think she was one of them. That is my only reason for thinking she was one of them was the tattoos. Cause she's, it's not like they got a, you know, uh, a 24 year old woman to play a 16 year old. This is a small child in <laughs> most 10, right? Yeah. So there's no reason why the actress would have had tattoos. So that, that exactly. that's my thing for it. I'd have to go back and double check in the comic book. Um, but she's attacking them and they end up pinning her against the wall during this whiteout. Cause, Oh, that's why they couldn't hear them. They specifically went to the grocery store because of the whiteout in that part. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And, uh, Oh, you're going to get me later. I got you. Yeah. And, uh, but even little brother, Jake ends up having to pick up the ax and fucking decapitate her. Right. Yeah. And it's a, it's a real dramatic scene that they don't think he's going to have the balls to do it. Um, the whiteout ends though, and they don't know how they're going to get back. And Jake decides that he can make a distraction while the rest get away. And they bring up his grandma's pot form and that she has ultraviolet lights in there. And they hope to God that it works. Yeah. The like, grow lights. Yeah. And like, we don't even know if these things, uh, die from sunlight. You're thinking of movies and they're like, well, they attacked us for a reason. And, um, even takes off run and he's beating on shit with the axe. Like, come and get me. It should be obvious as fuck. Yeah. And he makes it to his grandmother's house and the vampires are chasing him in. And the, the rest of the group sneaks off to the police station and he burns the girl vampire who we've seen by Marlo's side this yes. whole time. So she's got to be like his woman, right? Yeah. Um, he burns the fuck out of her with the ultraviolet light and then sneaks out the back of the house while she's running out screaming. Yep. And Marlo looks down and he's like shaking his head like, I can't help you. And he fucking kills her. Yeah. So I guess you're fucked once you get burnt. I give you mercy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so even makes it out the back door and he's chased by vampires and Bo comes in with a backhoe again and saves him. And they're they're jumping on this scene's really cool because they're ignoring even at this point. They want Bo because and he's just fucking chopped because there's a decent number of vampires. He's running them over, he's cutting them in half of the backhoe. One of them jumps on the back and he had a bear trap set up. So it steps in the bear trap and gets snared and falls. And he's just dragging that one down the street. Yeah. And it's got like this spiky thing on the front that gets impales one of them and shit. <laughs> like it's a real, it's a real like gremlins on a tractor type fucking scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and he, he rams in a, I don't remember if it's like a town market or something. He rams into some building and he gets out and they're swarming him and he drops a box of dynamite. And he lights some road flares and he's like, yeah, they'll swarm me. I'll blow me and them up. This is awesome. I'll be the hero. Drops the flares. He gets fucking blasted and thrown out the window. Still alive and a great deal of pain. I don't even know if he got any vampires with it. I don't think he did, man. And Marlo walks up and just curb stomp crushes the fuck out of his head and pops it like it's nothing. However, this provided even (laughs) enough of a distraction (laughs) to get away and make it to the police station. While they're there, though. Carter, the older guy, I think he worked at the Utilidor, right? He was the guy that called it the Muffin Monster. I think yeah, so. Yeah, that's where he worked. He lets them know that he was bit by the girl. I just saw him get scratched, but I mean, I guess he was bit. Um, and he's turned into a vampire, and he wants to be in heaven with his wife with his and his family. Little yep. Yeah, and he doesn't want to live forever. And he's like, even I need you to end it. And even grabs him. Picks up his axe, takes him out of the room, shuts the door, and everybody else is freaking out because they can just see a silhouette just fucking going to town. 
even gets work done. <laughs> it will cut your head. Off. You need me to cut your head off. I'll cut your head. No, off it's right fucked now. up because he takes him into the other room, right? Yeah. And doesn't what's her face like cry and slide down the wall right yeah. next to the door. And there's this dramatic shot of her being so upset hearing it. And it's like, you're the one who leaned up against the wall. All right. I thought they were on the other side of the room because they're looking at the glass and they can see even silhouette. No, no, no. Somebody else could see it, but there's a dramatic shot of her yeah, up against the she wall. She shut crying. the door behind Yeah, her. and I'm like, why didn't you walk away if you're that upset? It's just the way even like Josh Hartnett's really good in this movie. Like this and Lucky Number Slevin are my favorite, like two fucking Josh Hartnett movies. I'll give you Lucky Number Slevin. Um <laughs> like just the his the look on his face when he grabs Carter and that axe and he just goes in the room and he's like, All right, <laughs> this yeah. is the way we're gonna go. This is true. Um but yeah, so so that all happens, and some more days pass by. We're we're pretty much at the end of the thirty days. At yeah, this point. we're getting close. And Eben sees uh, a light being flashed to him from across the street. It's Billy's house. This part's fucked up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, Eben and Stella make it across the street to Billy's house, and they find out that when the vampires attack the town, Billy executed his wife and his daughters. And tried to kill himself, and the gun misfired. And even beats the shit out of him a little bit. He's like, "This is your family. You're supposed to protect them." And that's that's some dark shit. <laughs> yeah, that, that shit's dark. There's a uh, there's a term like the wife watches all these like CSI and shit. Uh-huh. And there's a term for like parents that kill their children and they think they're saving them from the world. Yeah. And it's like one of those moments where he's like, Oh my God, I can't let him go this way. I'm going to kill. It's the coward's way out. Yeah. But, he, I mean, he was planning on killing himself through the gun jam. So yeah. it's, it's fucking crazy. Like it's supposed to be a murder suicide. It just didn't work out. Yeah. That's the darkest part of the whole fucking movie to me, <laughs> but they get Billy out. He's still his partner. He's got to save him. Right. And they figure out that the others snuck off to the utilidor. So the three of them head out that way. And I don't remember how Stella gets separated, but they find a little girl. Do you remember how Stella gets her groove back, though? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can you believe I waited that long? <laughs> yes. Or no, actually, I can't. Um, Stella goes and tries to save a little girl and gets separated from Billy and Even. Yeah. And they make it to the utilidor, but a vampire follows them in. And the vampire very, very graphically rips Billy's throat straight <laughs> the fuck out and goes for Even. Billy tackles the vampire straight into the muffin monster, which just dispatches of him. However, Billy's fucking hand gets caught. Yeah. And his scream, man, I feel it when his fucking hand gets ripped off by the muffin monster. And then he's bleeding and screaming out. And then it turns into that vampire screech. Yep. Even picks up the axe. And he takes care of business. He's got to do it. He takes care of business, goes in there, swinging, chops fucking head off. And this scene, this is one of some early weeks to think of the thing because the head's kind of hanging by a little bit of something and you can you can hear a scream still or yeah. screech rather. And um, the, the sun's rising in a few hours. They've made it. It's the home stretch. But Marlo and his crew go all Louie, start torching the fucking town. Right. Well, well, they cut open the pipeline. Yeah, they cut the oil pipeline open and the yeah. oil's like spreading through town. and um, they're going to cover all traces. This never happened. I guess they're just going to go on the ship and peace out. And, um, yeah, you're definitely right. Louis style, burn it all down. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to have to use that going forward to the podcast. If somebody burns something down, we're going to call it pulling a Louis. But, uh, Evan radius Stella, and he learns that she's trapped outside with the little girl under a trailer or something. Yeah. Under a truck. And there's fire all around them and she can't get out. Like she's fucked. If her and the little girl get up, the vampires are going to see him because vampires are watching for the survivors. Yep. As soon as this fire's over, they're going to peace out. They're going to leave. And, um, even's like, I got to save her. I love her. I can't do this as a human and takes a syringe, 
take some blood out of Billy. And I can't believe the only problem anybody has with this, even that's somebody else's blood. <laughs> Fuck the vampirism. <laughs> Don't use dirty needles, brah. And even injects himself with the vampire. And he's like, it took the other's time to turn. Like, yeah. unless they were dying. If they weren't dying, it takes a while. You still have your capacity. Like when the guy was like, here, I, I don't want to live forever. Even cut my head off, please. Like he was, he had the eyes and the sharp teeth. He knew it was going on at that point. Now this is the part where I got to bring up where to me, it's in the blood. This is the same one that he just had blood sprayed all over his face and in his mouth. So he, he was probably going to turn anyways. So I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know what it is in the graphic novels, but I'm just, <laughs> I remember you saying that when we recorded the last vampire episode and we talked about it and whenever we watched it, he doesn't get that much blood on his face still. And he, I don't know. I mean, swallowing something and it going through your digestive tract is different than intravenously. It so. is, but it all depends on how potent the, the bloodborne disease is. I'm just saying, I like to think that he already, there's a good chance he was already fucked. So shooting himself up to, Hulk out was, was <laughs> worth do, it. I do know this is one of the scenes that is like cell by cell with the graphic novel. Okay. Like, he fucking gets the needle. He sits down that they took the exact words and everything. They, they, like, just, they just took it out. Of, they used that to storyboard it basically. Yeah. I mean, actually I saw the making of this. They use the graphic novels as the storyboard for the movie. Okay. I'm like, fuck it. Let's just, let's do it. We got it. Um, but even it's the only way he can beat Marlowe. He's got to, he's got to have that super strength, that super speed. And he starts to turn and they're all freaking out because eyes and teeth. I think the others want to go ahead and kill even. And Jake's like, stay away from my brother. And, uh, and he's like, we don't know if he's bad yet. And then even's like, I can smell your blood. And then Jake's like, oh, we might be fucked. <laughs> Come to think of it. This is a bad idea. There's the door, sir. <laughs> and, um, even goes out with his hood up and he starts walking up to Marlowe and the group of vampires and Marlowe turns around. And walks up to him, and Eben's got the hood on. You can't really see his demeanor. I guess he doesn't know he's turned yet. And he knows Eben's the champion, the asthmatic champion. And this is one of those fucking movies <laughs> where the goddamn asthma, like, oh, it's cold. I'm going to die. <laughs> I fucking hate that shit. I forgot about that because there's a bit earlier in the movie where he's, like, about to be out of the fucking movie because he doesn't have his inhaler. Right, and they have to get him one from the, the store. Yeah. But uh, he, you know, he's not as experienced as, as Marlo, but he knows how to fight, apparently. He sucker punches him, right? So, because it's does. not, it, this isn't one of those movies <laughs> where the van, oh, I just turned into a vampire. I know Kung Fu now. Let's fucking flip and kick. He literally, it is just like a street fight. I mean, it's like if you got drunk at a bar and got in a fight with somebody, it's like back in high school. He just sucker punches Marlo. Marlo's shocked. And uh, Marlo beats the fuck. He gets some good punches in on Marlo every now and then. I know. But Marlo's just fucking with them and throwing them everywhere and beating the shit out of them. The other vampires are watching. It's very ritualistic, right? And, um, He's fucking, he's got even dead to rights and like knocks him across the street and he charges at him full speed and even just fucking punches through his throat and out the back of his head and kills him. Yeah. And, um, we've talked about this a little bit before when on the last episode, I take issue with this fight. <laughs> I, I just do. Okay. I get the sucker punch thing, but I'm just, I can't fathom that this guy that's been the leader of the clan kicking ass for, we don't know how many years, hundreds of years. And then as this guy vamps out, he manages to get that sucker. If he's too cocky and he manages to get the sucker punch in on him, that's fine. But he played that character so well that he seems so foreboding and so on top of his shit that I have a hard time buying that he'd even get in that situation. See, I felt like he was kind of cocky in the movie. And if you watch their feeding patterns, there is no fights. True. They just go in and murder the whole town and you're, when you're asleep. Yeah. So there's nothing to say that he actually has lots of fighting experience. And I mean, 
it was done like a realistic fight. It was. Just like a few punches. Other than, you know, they're not like flying around. Oh, no, I'll give you that, man. Marlo just jumped. Like, he does this weird, like, kick, jump backwards thing and starts slamming Evan's head on the fucking hood. But it was like a real fight. And even literally got his ass kicked and won with a couple sucker punches. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that fucking worked for me. I, <laughs> it's completely different than that part of the graphic novel, though. Oh, really? Um, but the other vampires, they leave. I don't know if it's because their leader's been dead and it's like an alpha pack mentality or just the sun's coming in two minutes. We got to get the fuck on the ship. Well. But they just leave. And uh, even and Stella go to like the little date spot on the cliff. And watch the sunrise together. And when he burns, man, it's pretty. Uh, Josh is sighing at me. <laughs> but it's like, it's not done in like a pretty peaceful way. Like he is screaming in pain and like beating on Stella. And like he just fucking burns and dies. And I think he made a good hero in this movie. I like how he took charge. I like how he gets the axe. We'll fucking chop his friend's head off if he needs to. Yeah. He was willing to inject himself with the blood and turn. He was willing to fucking burn alive. I don't know. I think he's a good hero. I, I get that he's a hero, the self-sacrifice. I get all that. I'm just, I don't, I guess I get the whole, I still love her. Let's go do the date spot, see the sunrise thing. But I just went through holy hell to save your ass. <laughs> and so what am I going to do now? I'm going to go die in the most painful war possible way I can think of. And maybe possibly take you out with me. I don't know. What if he had fucking exploded, man? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, the, I mean, he burned in the same way. Claudia did in Interview he the Vampire. Actually, it's, it's, it's worse. worse. It's worse. It is. She just burns. Like, he fucking, I mean, you feel that pain on him. Yeah. Um, they don't know if, like, a stake through the heart or anything works. It's this like, is true. Would you rather watch the sunset with the woman you love or let somebody chop your head off with an axe or go into the muffin monster? Because those are the only three <laughs> things they know that work. Oh. You know what I mean? There weren't a whole lot of options. I know. Um, I just like, have to pick fun at <laughs> It's, I don't know. I watch this one a lot. This is one of those vampire movies I watch more often than the others. I, it's very there's no downtime it is a fast movie rolls to the plot quick uh it's very dark and visceral again i like the monster vampires yeah um i like that they speak their own language so we don't have to have any like weird conversations with the vampires and humans they just go in and, and get shit done i did look it's been a while since i read the graphic novel okay. and um i don't own it anymore or it's in storage i couldn't figure that out <laughs> but uh, i wanted to like I remembered some subtle differences, so I looked up a couple others. Okay. Uh, even and Stellar together, they're not separated in the in the okay. novel. Um, his last name was something else. They changed it. I thought I had that written in here, but I don't. Um, Marlo does lead the attack, but an elder vampire name, it's like Vicente, I never knew how to say it, uh, comes for him. And uh, it's because they're supposed to live in secret, and he's mad at Marlo for this plot. And Vicente actually um, kills Marlo in the book. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, his math. Uh, it's not necessarily the one that turned him, but like an older vampire comes in and kills him. And uh, even actually has to fight Vicente. So he injects okay. the blood in to go fight him. So you probably would have got even more mad. Uh, this is going to be more pissed. So they combine that, you know, the two in a one. And they took traits from both characters and made Marlo both of them. Yeah. Um, even killed the stranger in the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because he's, I mean, he has no problem fucking chopping his friend's heads off of the axe. He'll kill the stranger. I think there's a bunch of like uh, vampire hunters came to get proof that vampires existed. Um, oh, really? And that was cut out. Yeah. Okay. And uh, they used the panels, like I said earlier, as the storyboards and took the dialogue straight out of the panels. So that's pretty fucking neat. The spinoff movies weren't actually written poorly because they're probably straight from the graphic novels. Okay. There was no money to make them. They're fucking shitty cheap movies. No, like direct like, a video type shit. Yeah. I can't think of the names of them right now. I've only seen, I think there's, three total including this one okay. but i can only think of the second one 
And like you find out that like there's a thirty group of days vamp- darker. <laughs> Is that the name of it? It might actually be. No, I was, I was making a Fifty Shades of Grey joke. Oh, gotcha. Um, that, that sounds kind of. Funny. I don't remember the name, but it's something cheesy like that. Yeah. But you you find out that like they're the vampire hunters are trying to get proof, but like the vampires have hackers and they've like covered up everything oh, okay. and all the transmissions and they got the shit on lockdown and it, <laughs> it, it was a really cool idea. And I would have liked to have seen this world fleshed out on film, Yeah, but it could end up poorly. I do. I wonder how the same Raimi version would have gone. I don't know. This is the guy that as we've talked about before. He didn't get into this business to make horror. Yeah. So the thing is though, it feels like a Sam Raimi movie to me a lot of the time. So I wonder how much production liberties he took. I don't know. The, uh, the director watching them behind the scenes seemed to really have a vision that he really tried to get everybody to focus on with the ride he was taking. Yeah. And he took all this vampire knowledge and went on to make twilight eclipse. So I didn't I think that's I the last one. I don't remember. I I've seen them all. I've seen the first one a couple times and I've seen the other ones once. I didn't glean that in my research on that one, but what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I, I just I looked at it as IMDb and I watched an interview with him because he was like I said, he was pumped. He's like, I got to make a movie and not have to make a director's cut. Yeah, because I got my oh, dude. He cut. was in the behind the scenes. He's so into it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I love seeing directors that are like that. They're like appreciative of everyone. And they make the whole joke about how, you know, we're filming some of this at night. You know, this is the stretch we have to do where we have to film everything at night. And this is coffee number 14. And like, <laughs> like all this shit in the bonding and like any movie making you see or anything you've done in your life when you have to work a night shift or whatever, everybody goes a little crazy. <laughs> so that had to have been fun. But I got I got more of a kick out of the behind the scenes than I did the movie. It just <laughs> I'm sorry. It just didn't do it for me. When you told me you hadn't seen this one and I, I told you it was one of them that I picked, I was actually excited for you to see this movie because I knew how much you were gonna love it. So you're like pissing off. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought you'd like the movie. That's like it's so um we'll do this like all off podcast, but I really I gotta find out what you didn't like about it because on paper it hits a lot of check boxes for you. It does, man. I just I don't like Josh Hartnett in it. Oh, I don't know why. It's not like he's bad. I just don't care. Oh, he's that's, actually one of my favorite parts of the that's, movie. That's my problem. Like the whole movie. I don't care. Hmm. And I don't know if it's cause I didn't, I'm it's not enough backstory for me. Okay. Which is fucked up. Cause I'm the guy who's usually like, don't I need a, a little bit of backstory and I'm yeah. good to go. Um, it just didn't draw me in. And what's really weird is like the, the wife and I see eye to eye on a lot of movie stuff. And we're fucking 180 on this one. Like the movie ended and I'm like that, really? And I'm like, because I oh, was, she like it. Yeah. And yeah. I was talking shit about it towards like the ending and everything. And she's like, he fucking loved her. And she's not a girly girl or anything. She's like, you don't understand. I'm like, where's all this coming from? What I, what happens in this movie that I don't see? There, it really is one of those things. I don't get how you don't like it. You're totally entitled to your own opinion. But the shit you like, this should be like, I know. you're perfect. Like Lost Boys and 30 Days a Night should be Josh's favorite vampire movies. <laughs> Of all time, and it's not. I don't know. I like Josh Hart in it, though. I thought he's like a believable young. I don't know why he's such a badass. But yeah, like and it's just, not like a thing. I don't have a problem with him. It's yeah. not like, oh, I can't stand him at anything. It's not like one of those things. Moving on to something that I really did like. Yeah, yeah. You and, can't not like this movie. And really do like is um, definitely going into what Jesse calls action. <laughs> and that is from Dust Till Dawn, 1996, which started off as a screenplay written by Robert Kurtzman, no less. Oh, really? Yes. And then ended up getting to Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. And uh, that explains all the K&B tie-ins. Well, other than they needed special effects. Well, done, but yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, when I read about that, like supposedly the the writing of the treatment was a favor that he owed Tarantino or okay. some shit. Um, but this movie. <laughs> it's got it all. The, talk about a movie that came out of fucking nowhere. Um, and when you look at, okay, so it's a fucking crazy ass, lower budget vampire movie starring George Clooney. And like you tell people that last line and 99, this is like fucking right on the heels of ER. And, uh, you got to think though, the first thing I ever saw George Clooney in was, uh, it's either attack or return of the killer tomatoes. Oh, I thought you were going to go with the, uh, the other one, the, the high school horror movie. Um, Oh yeah. I can't even think of what that is right now. That's the one I always come back to that everybody's like, what? He did a B horror movie. It's like, no, dude, he did a killer tomatoes movie. Yeah. Okay? Like, like, and people don't, people don't think about this. The first time I saw him, like I was a kid and like it was my mom and, and our grandmother was watching fucking ER together at my house. And I'm like, Oh, it's the dude from killer tomatoes. <laughs> That's literally <laughs> what I thought of when I saw him. And, uh, God, he is so good. Um, his character fucking, uh, Seth Gecko, because we got Seth Gecko and Richie Gecko, the Gecko brothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he really is the best part of the movie. Yeah. And I'll introduce everybody later on in the movie, except for Cheech Marin, because <laughs> Cheech Marin plays three people in this movie. <laughs> and it wasn't by choice. It just happened to go that way. <laughs> and it was great. But uh, so he opened with this Texas Ranger pulling up at this store, bitching <laughs> to the guy at the counter about the Mongoloids cooking and how <laughs> this it made is him sick. Yeah. This is the most Tarantino scene of the whole movie. Yes, it really is. <laughs> like the dialogue and everything. And uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to blaze through some of this stuff pretty quick because the guts of this movie are the last 17 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it really yeah. is. And, um, but basically what we have going on here is we're introduced to the Gecko Brothers because the, the ranger goes into the shitter and the Gecko Brothers come out with these hostage girls. Mm-hmm. Like, did you say anything? Did you do anything? And, uh, <laughs> Cause they just had like a normal conversation about like what's going on in town sports. You yeah. want to buy some whiskey. I got to go take a piss. Like everything is normal. And, uh, Richie's like, no, no, he was signaling to him. He was signaling to him. And, uh, so when the Texas Ranger comes back out, Richie fucking shoots him and he shoots the dude behind the counter too. I think Richie actually blows the Texas Ranger's head out, yeah. uh, brains out and then shoots the guy behind the counter. And Seth is immediately like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I told you. <laughs> and, blah, blah, blah. and, uh, so the, uh, the guy behind the counter ends up getting in the safe and pulls out a gun and uh, he shoots back and he shoots Richie right through the fucking hand. Yeah. Like fucking crow style and shit. <laughs> and uh, second crow reference tonight. <laughs> I know. Right. I managed to do it twice this episode. And uh, so <laughs> there's this really cool scene where like uh, uh, George Clooney's like kicks the, the, the shelf to make the toilet paper fall in his hand while he's grabbing lighter fluid off the shelf and fucking soaking it and setting it on fire to burn the place down. It's one of those scenes that looks so fucking cool, but would not work at all. Like in real life, if you try to everything, would have fell off? <laughs> yes, yeah. true. And, um, so as they're walking out, the fucking place is burning up and exploding and like shit's flying everywhere and they're calmly walking. But the important thing is that Seth's talking to Richie and he's like, all I told you to do was go inside and buy a damn map. <laughs> yeah. And cool guys don't look at explosions. Yeah. So we quickly <laughs> place that these two criminals, Seth is the level headed one and Richie, there's something off about Richie. Because yeah. some, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's later in the movie, probably the hotel scene. But he's like, I am a master fucking thief. You know, yes. like that's that's Seth's thing. He's a thief. He is not a fucking mass murderer. So um, we see him driving along and we see this shitty see inside the trunk of the car shot of I think it's the bank teller. It's so bad that they took hostage. So they go to a hotel and uh, 
Seth's going to do something because he's mentioning, uh, what is it, Carlos, that they're going to meet down in Del Rey. Yeah. And uh, he's going to go get some food. Yeah. That's what it is. And he tells and, Richie and the hostage, right. be cool. And when he gets to the room, that's the scene that makes me think of Near Dark because he's like ringing the fucking bell over and over again like Jesse did. What do you think I want, you mean old bastard? I want a fucking room. <laughs> um, meanwhile, we're introduced to Dad Jacob, which is Harvey fucking Keitel. Fuck yeah, it is. Um, Scott, which is some dude whose name I don't remember. And uh, <laughs> just like write a, the names down, Josh. That's like a dick for saying that. Oh my god, I didn't even put his name on. <laughs> You're fucking terrible, human being. Well, you know what was terrible? His acting. Uh, oh shit. <laughs> but then we've got uh, Kate, which is uh, Juliet Lewis. Yeah, and uh, she's awesome. I'll wait till we get to the scene. Um, but, but they're on a trip to Mexico in their RV. Dad was a preacher. Mom died. Dad lost his faith. Yeah. It's the gist of what we need to know about them. Unfortunately for them, they stop at the same hotel. <laughs> and because uh, Scott's even like, we're on a rolling hotel. Why are we stopping at a hotel? But anyways, so while we're having that going on, Richie sees the news report about them knocking over this bank. And we get this real like grindhouse scene flashing up on the screen it's mm. like this many people killed this many, no wait this many hostages this many people killed and uh fuck who do you, john saxon john saxon is actually talking to the news reporter he's yeah. like one of the detectives or lead cops or whatever so that was cool seeing him in there and um uh, so seth comes back from big kahuna burger <laughs> very quentin tarantino right yes when all that was going on before, though, we saw Richie kept trying to get the, the hostage to watch TV with him and sit on the edge of the bed and all that, right? Yes. He tells her to take her shoes off because <laughs> we all know Tarantino has a foot thing regardless, but it's all over this fucking movie. <laughs> and uh, yes, because he gets her to get in bed and they're watching it. Like, we already know something bad's fixing to happen to her. And so Seth comes back with Eats and uh, he opens, or no, Richie's in the front room and he's like talking to him, blah, 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 yada, yada. I talk to Carlos, we're good, blah, blah, blah. Where's the hostage? Oh, she's in the other room and he opens the door and you don't see the room. You just see the slowly coming in shot of Seth's face. Yeah. He's like, Richie, what I tell you to do. And you get these real quick cuts of yes. wide shots of the room with like her blood and body everywhere. I heard this was part of getting the rating down. That's what oh, really? Did that. Yeah. I mean, that's what I heard anyway. Like I was reading it and cause I mean, she's just fucking dismembered all over the bed. Yeah. That's different than when it's like a snake vampire and you're fucking ripping their head off. True. That it was a murdered innocent hostage. Well, and they dumped a lot of shit at the end of the movie yeah. too, but it really well done the way they cut it. And that's when he goes on the spiel about how he's a professional. He is a thief. He's tactical. He only kills people when he has to. What's your damage, Richie? And uh, of course he's trying to take care of his fucking little brother. Yeah. Even though he's damaged. I know I said I was going to try to get through this quickly. You're fine. Uh <laughs> So they end up hopping on the RV mm -hmm. and they hijack it and uh, they get to the border and there's a lot of dynamics going on here. No, sorry. I'm skipping something I want to say. They end up going into the hotel room yeah, where the family's at and they're talking to him about where they're going, the RV, blah, blah, blah. And Seth's telling us like, we're going to do this and you're going to be cool. And the daughter's not in the room at the time. Yeah. No. Yeah. But when she comes in, we see from Richie's point of view of her turning around and looking at him going, Richie. Could you do me a favor and eat my pussy for me, please? Because <laughs> he's just like eyeballing her and she's in her bikini, right? And like yeah. he's already got bad thoughts going on. And uh, so we're pretty much being told right then, not only did he murder the hostage, he probably raped her too. And uh, we also get that he hallucinates. So yes. he probably actually thought the guy tipped the sheriff off or the ranger, right? Exactly. And, uh, but they end up on the RV and as they're getting to the border, we've got 
Seth sitting up front and talking to Jacob, like really prodding at him. Like you used to be a minister. What happened to your wife? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I think I've done about all the share and I'm going to do with you or something <laughs> like that. And meanwhile, we've got, uh, Seth sitting in the back or Richie sitting in the back with the kids. And yeah. Seth told him just sit back there and watch him. And he's, he's looking at her feet <laughs> and, uh, or Kate's feet. And he's like, you know, I can do that for you. She's do like, what? what? <laughs> like, what, what you asked me to do back there when you asked me to eat your, and he gets about that far when Seth's like, Richie told you to be quiet. Didn't tell you to talk to him and told you to watch him. So they get to the border and we get Cheech character. Number one, <laughs> um, <laughs> he ends up coming on board because uh, Harvey Kai tells us it's just him and his son. And then here's a noise. And he's like, what's that? He's like, Oh, and my daughter He's like, I'm going to need to see in there. <laughs> and uh, he opens the bathroom door of the RV and she's sitting there taking a piss. They're sitting on the toilet like she's taking a piss. She's like, do you mind? I'm trying to take a piss or some shit like that. Well, the important part, though, is uh, don't forget, like, Richie and Seth are in there. And Richie keeps talking. And he keeps getting louder and yeah, louder. And he's he like, he's tipping off, tipping off. And Seth just fucking headbutts him and knocks him the fuck out. And that was the thud. And just the look That's on right. George Clooney's face. His face, like, when he has to knock his brother out. And, like, his face when he sees the woman in the hotel room. Like, that's, like, his... His acting coming through. Like, I love the oh, face yeah. he makes in the movie. But that was a thud. He knocks her out. Okay. And then he's hiding in the shower holding Richie's body while while Cheech pops in. She's like, I'm taking a piss. Do you mind? <laughs> so they make their way across the border and he comes back out and he's like, you're going to turn here, turn here, turn here and get to the titty twister. <laughs> so Hell of a name, right? So our introduction to the t- titty twister, we've got Cheech Marin number two. And uh, he's standing out front, you know, like uh, what they used to call the carny people that would stand out front. And yell to get people to come in. There's a fucking name for it, but whatever. That's what he's doing. <laughs> he's like, come on, pussy lovers. We've got white pussy. We got black pussy. We got American pussy. We got Mexican pussy. We got smelly pussy. We got sweet pussy. We got dog pussy. We got cat pussy. We got chicken pussy. <laughs> and he's like, come on, pussy lovers. If you can find cheaper pussy anywhere, fuck it. <laughs> and uh, it's a very iconic. Yet it is foul scene. Yeah, I have to go through the whole thing because he's so good at it. And that's as they're walking up, he sees Kate and he's like, what do we have here? Looks like a new flavor. <laughs> Apple pie pussy. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry, I have to. I fucking love that I part. Somebody, is it Seth, like knocks him the fuck out, kicks him in the nuts? He does. Yeah. And then Richie turns around and, and kicks him repeatedly. He's like, yeah. hi, nice to meet you. Thanks for letting us come in or some shit like that. <laughs> so they go in and they go up to the bar. Barkeep is Danny Trejo and uh, tells him to get the fuck out. This <laughs> bar is for bikers and truckers. If you think about it, if this is how the vampire clan or whatever they are feeds, like mm-hmm. they just do the bikers and the truckers. They could have just, they could have walked out the door and nothing would ever happen to the family. Yep. So, but this is the place they're told to meet. Yeah. So Jacob goes through this whole thing about how you see that. Vehicle out there, blah, blah, blah. I have this license. I'm a truck driver. These are my friends. And Danny Trejo's like the best tequila uh, in the house coming up. And, and Seth's like, yeah, I doubt that. Or some <laughs> shit like that. And there was another guy that comes up during the exchange that I call asshole in my notes that smarts off something to him like he's fixing to throw him out. Yeah. And, the big uh, guy. Yeah. yeah. He's like a bouncer kind of. And so, uh, and I think one of them breaks his hand because they, they come back in with the balancers later. He's like, he broke my hand and this guy broke my nose. And <laughs> so now that they're in, we kind of get a little see around and see how crazy the place is. We got chicks dancing. We got the band playing. Um, we've got sex machine, <laughs> which is no other than Tom Savini. Thank you. He's got a whip 
like straight out of fucking Castlevania. And he whips a beer out of this guy's hand. That guy is Greg Nicotero. <laughs> yep. And Greg Nicotero's like, you want to go? And fucking Sex Machine whips out this thing and it's this it's crotch. It's a cod piece. Yeah. yeah, it's a cod piece that's a fucking gun and two fucking revolver. Chambers. S- yeah. <laughs> and uh, which supposedly was a prop from Desperado or. Yes. Yeah. What's the other I one? I think so. I think it was. Des- well, might have been El Mariachi. Okay. Yeah. It's one of the two. And uh, so that's cool. We see both of them real quick. <laughs> Burger's in the scene too. He's a truck driver. Not not particularly the scene with the vampires attack. He's yeah. there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, because he gets he gets eight. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's safe to assume K and B did all the uh, effects on this, right? Yes. <laughs> so Seth gets everybody to sit down and pound drinks, and um, including the kids, including the kids. And it's funny because uh, Kate has her first drink and. Then he's like, all right, everybody ready for another one? She's like, I'll have another one. <laughs> <laughs> She's real good in the movie. So the main girl's fixing, come on, Satanico Pandemonia something or like something that, like yeah. that. And um, it's Selma Hayek who has to do the snake dance. And supposedly she was terrified of snakes. <laughs> she does the dance. She ends up on the table. Tarantino gets to do his foot fetish thing again because <laughs> he's like licking on her toes while she's pouring fucking whatever Tequila or down. something. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so. Cheech Marin, Danny Trejo, an asshole guy from the bar come up to the table and Cheech is like, you know, those are the guys that beat my ass. And so the scuffle ensues and we got Richie gets stabbed in the same hand he was fucking shot in. Like in the hole, but it's, I guess, wider than the bullet, right? Yeah. Um, Seth shoots asshole dude. Richie stabs the shit out of Danny Trejo. <laughs> yes, he does. And uh, we see there's green blood on the knife. And uh, Cheech laughs. And both the Gecko brothers just shoot the bejesus out of him. But while this is going on, we've got Selma Hayek up on the table and she sees the blood running out of Richie's hand and it's too much. She fucking vamps out and bites him on the neck, like fucking hops on him. And he's like spinning around screaming and shit. If I remember correctly. Do you think that the vampire's normal plan is to clear the bar out and kill everybody? Or do you think it's just because she smelled the blood? And attacked them. And that's why they had to do it on this instance. Because you do at the end see where there's trucks and stuff. Like this has happened before. But yeah. maybe this isn't. It wouldn't be a popular bar if they murdered the patrons every night. Right? Exactly. But if everybody got murdered, they would never be able to tell the stories about how shitty the bar was. Yeah. But no, it does feel like this is how it should go. But this this happened way too early in okay. the night. Okay. Is, is what I'm. But yeah, she sees it and like, oh, well, fuck it. And uh, these aren't normal vampires. Either. They're snake vampires. <laughs> they are. Well, they run the gamut, man, from the ugly, weird bat ones and yeah. the old lady looking ones and like all over the place, man. But um, so the three baddies all sit up fully vamped out and all hell breaks loose. Yeah. So I just have to go through the, the kills here. So we've <laughs> the got good part. This is my favorite part of the movie. Man. Sex machines. <laughs> junk shoots Treo. <laughs> All the chicks vamp out because we've got all these sexy dancer chicks. They vamp out and just start attacking patrons like crazy. The band vamps out and now we're playing body instruments and <laughs> doesn't make sense. But it looks actual awesome. band in the movie. I forgot their fucking name. I think they're in like El Mariachi and stuff also. So um, Kate ends up jamming across into Cheech's mouth over at the bar and he does. It's like like out of gremlins where like his eyes fucking pop out and like spray out on her and shit. (laughs) I got him in my notes as Nam guy. I think his actual name is frost, even though it's never said in the movie, he flips the table over and he's flipping over these vampire (laughs) chicks and just throwing them on the legs. Oh, what's that actor's name? He was like a football player and stuff first. Right. And then I think so. Yeah. I don't, I didn't write it down. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Terrible. I know. Right. Uh, 
So Sex Machine ends up getting Danny Trejo when he's standing on the pool table. That really crappy CGI shot where he pulls his legs out from under him. Yeah. I remember watching a thing back in the day. It was like, look at how cool this looks. And like, it's not Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Digital effects have never been can be strong. Yeah. Spot. But we end up with um, some Hayek pins down Seth and uh, he shoots the, the chandelier down on him on her but she's like you are my dog you will be my slave and at, at my command you will lick the dog shit from my boot heel since you are a dog you will need a dog's name i will call you spot and then she vamps out and goes welcome to slavery and he goes no thanks i've already had a wife and that's when he shoots the chandelier down because the whole time she's going on a rant he's not in his head like yeah uh-huh, uh, why he's like emptying his gun and reloading yeah. it <laughs> so frost ends up ripping out who i call asshole guy's heart and uh, Sex Machine ends up walking over. He gets a pencil off of one of the trays from one of the waitresses and stabs the pencil into the heart. Yeah, because he's still alive looking at the dude holding his heart. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And somewhere in all that chaos, Burger gets killed. Yeah. Yeah. So we're down to the last four guys, the last four chicks, and they quickly stake them. They turn and look at the band. And I think it's Sex Machine. is like, how about we kill that fucking band? <laughs> <laughs> and the band's like, fuck you, everybody. Good night. And they all explode. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Moving on. Um, <laughs> so we got the thing with Seth saying goodbye to Richie because like he vamps out and he looks like Woody Harrelson and Kingpin. <laughs> I don't know why, man, but he looks like Woody Harrelson and Kingpin. It looks really bizarre because he's bad. like normal vamped out. Like he's just got the weird eyes, extra brow, some things. Well, well, I think we've got, well, there's that. And then there's the cut back. And oh, forth. Yeah, yeah. That's in Seth is seeing him as the eyes and the fangs, which looks really good. Yeah. But when he's fully Woody, Woody Harrelson, I don't know what's going on there. To me, it's almost it's like what they did to Sarandon in Fright Night. Like one of his vampire forms. It yeah. looks like they were like referencing back to that, but they don't get the oh, it was the 80s. I get a pass card. <laughs> they don't. Right. So. I mean, this is K&B. What happened here? And it was done. Honestly, it was done better in Fright Night that at least that yeah. that look wise. So Seth stakes Richie and uh, he's like, Richie, there's a peace in death that I could not give you in life. <laughs> and he slowly drives a stake through his heart. I just rammed a wooden stake into my brother's chest because he turned into a vampire. Even though I don't believe in vampires. This one, they're all like kind of mingling around. And I think all the vampires like burn, right? Yeah. And they're talking about how they're well, like softer. Well, Frost is like, aren't they supposed to burn up or something? And they <laughs> yes. all poof. Yeah. They all burst in the flames. And that's when they start talking about like how their bodies are softer than like a normal body. Right. And he's like, yeah. I shouldn't be able to punch through. And I think this is when his nom story kicks in, right? It's we're, like the flash. Yeah. We're almost there. Cause uh, they hear the bats and they board up the windows. They're going around and, and they're staking all of them. And what happens is uh sex machines kind of over by Kate. Like, are you good? And he gets fucking bit while he's checking on her. No one notices this. And, um, and Seth goes over this whole thing about what we know and not know about vampires. And, and it was like, do you really believe in vampires? And it's just like, no, I don't believe in goddamn vampires, but the only thing I can associate these things with is goddamn vampires. <laughs> so what do we know about vampires? And everybody's like, steak, garlic. And sex, she's like silver. It's like, no, no, that's werewolves. It's like, no, no. I remember silver having something to do with vampires. Savini is great in this movie. Yeah. Oh, he's so good. So that's like, uh, no, fuck the shit that you've seen in the movies and everything. What do we know about these vampires? Right. And that's when Nam guys like they're soft, they're squishy, blah, 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 yada, yada. Stakes, stake to the heart seems to work pretty good. 
So they're trying to form a plan because <laughs> Sex Machine even says, you know what? I bet if you had a good swing, you could probably knock one of their heads clean off because that's important later. <laughs> so Seth's like, you know what I do know? I do know these things are evil and an instrument of God would be very useful against them. And he turns to Jacob and he's like, an instrument of God can bless the fucking holy water. An instrument of God can blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you need to get your faith together, Reverend, <laughs> or some shit like that. So Nam guy starts telling his story or Frost starts telling his story, but I have him Nam guy. <laughs> And uh, and it's neat because it's pantomime. You don't really hear what he's saying. Yeah. You just start seeing Sex Machine kind of over in the corner by himself. And he's covered up where he got bit. And uh, <laughs> he starts to turn. First, he hears voices. He's yeah. doing the look around. What? What? And God, it's done so good. That's why I'm going to hang on it here for a second. And then he starts to feel something in his mouth. Yeah. And he actually reaches up and pokes out his tongue. And he has fangs. He's, then he covers his mouth. He's like, oh, shit. And... uh then he notices his hand has the nails coming out of it. Yeah. He's like, oh shit again. And he covers it with his other hand. And then that hand, the nails grow out. And then he puts both his hands behind his back. <laughs> and Frost is still, tell- we still see he's still, still telling his war story and everything. So unfortunately, all of a sudden, Sex Machine turns and comes from behind Frost and jumps up on him and bites him. Um, and then turns and bites Jacob too. So Frost throws him off right through a fucking window that's boarded up. Boards go flying. Bats enter. And and that's when false turns around. He's already turned for some reason. Yeah, we so get, he threw him on purpose, right? Yeah, eh? he would have yeah to let him in because he's a vampire now. That's what I always got out of it. It's like he bit him. He turned instantly and he threw the body to let the bats out. Cause Frost stands there with his hands out and lets all the bats fly past him. And he's got that. Cause he looks goofy. Yeah. And he does. Oh no, I never thought about it that way. So the bats come in and the group makes it down this back hallway. Everybody except for Jacob. Jacob dives behind the bar. As they're going down this back hallway, it feels really old. Like old and ancient. Yeah. And like just the way it feels. And they end up in this back storeroom. So Jacob finds a shotgun and a bat under the bar and the shotgun's got this weird handle on it, but he makes a cross out of it. Cause I think when they were discussing the plan, Scott's like crosses, you take any two sticks and put them together. Yeah. You got a cross. And so that's what Jacob does. And he's blowing some of them away with the shotgun, which seems to partially work in this movie. I mean, it looks like he blow their head off. Yeah. And well, they're supposed to be squishy. So, okay, I'll go and with the, that. The TV show goes a little bit more into their mythos. Okay. So, so he makes his way to the back room as well. So we go over the plan. Jacob says he's been bit. He wants to go down fighting. The room has all kinds of shit they've been stealing from the truckers and whatnot. Right. And uh, so they go through it to come up with their weapons. So we get Kate with the crossbow, Scott with the uh, super soaker and water grenades. And the uh, water grenades are actually condoms. <laughs> and they have his dad's blessing on the water. Which, and this is the problem. If they're fucking condoms, that's the last thing I'm going to use for a water balloon. Because they're not going to fucking burst. But whatever. The point is, is that we make it. We're like, there's like 10 minutes left in the movie. <laughs> we got to get through this. And uh, Seth gets the fucking, I don't know if it was like a tamper for like soil or whatnot or whatever it's supposed to be, but I, I wrote it down as the, uh, the gas powered steak machine. Yeah. Cause it's this thing that reciprocates and he puts a big ass fucking steak that he's carved in Seems it. Seems like a terrible idea, but he uses it in the movie. Yeah. You gotta be careful wielding this thing. Is and it Seth doing it in this movie or am I thinking of another movie where he's like carving the crosses and the bullet heads? That's yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was this movie or another one. <laughs> Yep, and they carve the crosses and the bullets. And they make their way out, and it's the final showdown between them and, and the baddies. So we've got Sex Machine attacks Seth, and uh, Seth snatches his whip away from him and mm-hmm. actually whips the whip around his neck and pops his own fucking head off. Yep. And uh, Sex Machine fucking falls down on all fours, and fucking this dog head comes out from his neck, and he's now this fucking big 
dog vampire monster thing. It, it's one of those things that Whatever. looks cool, but doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, it ends up pinning down Seth. Kate sees what's going on with the crossbow and Seth pushes him up while uh, Kate shoots him with the crossbow. He goes flying. Jacob turns in the midst of all this fighting. Now he had made his kids swear to God that they would kill him yeah. if he turned. So he turns and immediately bites Scott because Scott's a pussy. He can't do shit right. And I don't like Scott, man. I just don't. I don't like him in the movie. We didn't need his character. Um, hey, he came out with the two sticks thing, man. That was crucial. <laughs> hey, hey. That, that got Jacob out from the bar. Um, I mean, Kate ends up having to kill her dad, right? Or did Seth do it? No. Kate finally, or uh, Scott finally does it. Yeah. Because they do this dramatic thing where he's like, I swear to God, in Jesus Christ's name, with this weird stuttered zoom yeah. in thing. So yeah, it blows his head off, does the swear to God thing after his misfire. Of course, he's fucking bit now. So we got a group of amps that just jump on. Swarm them, yeah. And they're like, you know, like like the high school dance or like prom or whatever, where like you and four of your buddies get together and one of you would be the one laying down yeah. and everybody be holding you. So it's kind of like that. Yeah. And uh, we get the whole, kill me, Kate. And so she shoots him with a crossbow. And him and all the vampires around him explode for some reason. I mean, was it the crossbow or did she shoot him with Seth's gun with like the cross bullet? It is the gun. Yeah, you're right. It's the same gun that Scott had just had when he shot Jacob. Because to me, That's it was, right. I mean, I, a lot of these scenes I think were meant to look cool more than make sense. But to yes. me, that scene was always like the cross is what killed him and they're drinking his blood and the cross went to him and then they drank it and exploded. But I mean, the fucking band said, fuck you and blew up. So nothing has to know, make right? sense here. But so they all explode. At this point, we're down to just Seth and Kate. And uh, they're the only ones left. And they start noticing that there's sunlight coming through from the bullet holes. It's like, holy shit, shoot more holes. Yeah. And she's like, do I need to save two bullets for us? And he's like, no, if you've got one bullet left, you're going to shoot it into the next vamp, or vamp motherfucker that's coming after you or something like that. His lines in the movie are so great. And they're not funny. They're so stern and direct. Yes. And just the right amount of sarcasm. Like, I shouldn't have to say this to you, but I am like a stern parent. I mean, he's got some Oscar worthy roles that he's won Oscars for. And there's plenty of strange roles he's taken that I love him (laughs) in. Like, oh, brother, where art thou? And things like that. But to me, this is my- Or the men who stare at goats? Yeah. yeah. This is my favorite role of his, though. Yes, absolutely. Definitely not Batman. (laughs) <laughs> nipple batman is a no-no you know he says he has a poster of him in his batman suit with the nipples on it on his office door like i don't know if he means his home office or what but when, yeah. when he's sitting in his desk and the door shut he can see the poster of himself as batman staring at him and he says he put that there to remind him to never take a job for the money again hey that's smart that's pretty impressive and then he's made fucking awesome good movies since then so but uh, so while they're shooting the holes in the walls, they hear Carlos at the door. It's like, hey, I'm supposed to meet my buddy, Seth. It's Cheech <laughs> Marin, number three. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to count, guys. But anyways, so Seth yells at him. It's like, blow the door. Take out the door. And they take out the door. Sunlight comes through the doorway. <laughs> Hits the disco ball. I love the use of the disco ball. And fucking all the remaining vampires fucking explode. And what's crazy about all this third act shit is there's so much shit that ended up getting cut out. Like there was one vampire that had like a, its stomach was a mouth and was eating people and like <laughs> all kinds of crazy shit. So they make their way out and Seth fucking goes off on Carlos. He's like, of all the fucking places, why did we have to meet here? And he's like, I just heard it was a good place. And, uh, <laughs> What were they, a bunch of psychopaths or something? He's like, psychopaths do not burst into flames when sunlight touches them. Like, (laughs) 
Fucking one of those lines. Yes. And I don't, somewhere in the movie, he calls the vampires satanic cocksuckers. And that is one of my favorite lines. Yes. I almost used it on the intro, but I, I couldn't like, <laughs> I couldn't get it out, man. So he takes some of the cash and gives it to Kate. And he's like, here you go. And, uh, cause I think Kate wants to go with them and he's yeah. like, this isn't the life for you. Exactly. And, um, so we get a pull away shot. Cause he, Carlos was supposed to bring him a car too. So yeah. he's got his car and, uh, he's like, I said a new one. He's like, it's like new. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so she's got the RV and they're, they're driving away. I think she's still standing there and they drive away and we get the pull away shot. And what we're seeing is flying back behind the titty twister. And it's actually the very top of a Mesoamerican step pyramid. Yeah. And this Canyon behind it with all these cars and trucks and stuff going back decades and of course, going back centuries, obviously, if we're seeing that it was just the top of this temple. Yeah. And that's it. You know, it's credits. It's a dark and what I hate, man, is that pullaway shot and showing how old this shit really was, was like sequel, prequel, yeah. preferably prequel. Um, and what could have been done, but whatever. Well, there was a shitty sequel or prequel movie, wasn't there? That there was. T- this is the one that the third sequel is Old West. Ah, you're right. It is. I haven't seen it, but okay. yeah, yeah. I haven't either. I've just seen bits and pieces. Now, some interesting things of how the more, you know, um, <laughs> Tarantino was able to get George Clooney to do this because Tarantino directed an episode of ER. Okay. Yes. Quentin okay. Tarantino directed an episode of ER. I'm looking around at the audience as I say, this is crazy. And of course you got Harvey Keitel because Harvey Keitel is the only reason why we have Quentin Tarantino because yes. the reservoir dogs exactly. he, he got it out for him. Yeah. There was a laundry list of people that Parts were written for and were supposed to be in the movie and none of them could do it due to scheduling conflicts. (laughs) That list being Antonio Banderas, Steve Buscemi, Michael Madsen, Tim Roth, John Travolta, Christopher Walken. Can you imagine this movie if Christopher Walken had been Seth Gecko or anybody? Is that who he was supposed to That's be? That's who he was supposed to be. Okay. So I love me some Christopher Walken. I, the movie would have been shit if he was Seth. Would it? Or would it just have been different? I don't know. Actually, <laughs> maybe it could have been like, I'm just trying to think of how old Christopher Walken was at this, this time. This was 96, man. He wasn't I know, that old. I know, but I'm just trying to think of what he looked like back then. And I how mean, he go, acted. go back to, uh, what is it? Uh, King of New York. Yeah. Where he's talking to the guy and he's like, I need you to send your boss a message for me. And he just pisses all over the guy's shoes. I mean, no, no, he definitely has the attitude. I, I really, like I said, I really like George Clooney in this role, him and his moving neck tattoo. <laughs> no, that and that's a big problem that you do see throughout the movie is that sharpie, that shitty sharpie tattoo moves throughout almost every scene. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't. Uh, which show is it? I think it's Prison Break. The brothers like covered in tattoos, mm-hmm. and you know he got sick of getting it drawn on. So what they ended up doing it was just like a little skin suit he'd put on. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't just do that. But I guess it'd been fucking hot if they were actually shooting in Mexico or. Possibly. New Mexico, Arizona, where the fuck they shot. Or maybe he's going to get blood splatter on him and it's like, we're going to have to change this every time. We got to yeah, redo it anyway. It's funny. The the neck part is in a different spot oh, yeah. all the time. It's so obvious that it moves that much. And the special effects, for the most part, are awesome. But like, there's a lot that just doesn't make sense with why things look the way they do and and that. But it, yeah. it worked for the movie. The movie was like. As I, far as like the gore and the monsters, this was not a big budget movie. And you can tell that these guys work their asses off to eke out every fucking thing they could with the budget they had. That's the thing. I mean, can be, they learned how to do that with Sam Raimi, making yep. Evil Dead, and it's just, that's their thing. They, they were good at doing that. They've gotten fucked sometimes down the road, like, cursed. You know, when they made, <laughs> they made a fucking fully 
practical effect werewolf, and yeah. then they had to go back and do a like shitty CGI, yeah. you know, on top of it because of goddamn fucking Weinstein, you know, and it's just like, eh, let them do their practical effects. Tell them they don't have enough money to do it. Stop paying them for a little bit. They'll get shit done, <laughs> you know? And like I said, this is one of them that came out like teenage years. Yep. And I mean, every, every click of friends I had, we always just fucking watch this one on the ground. Like, uh, what are we going to rent? Let's get from dusk till dawn again, you know, because it's fucking fun from start to finish. Yep. And it's, it's one of those that, you know, you can, I can't say anybody in my circle of friends that I talk to is like, oh, that's a shit movie. Yeah. It's like, no, my circle of friends is like, okay, let's sit down and let's watch Reservoir Dogs and from dusk till dawn. <laughs> like, and maybe Pulp Fiction if there's time, you know, and it's, it's not a Tarantino movie. It's, it's a Rodriguez movie, but, uh, this luckily it came out or at least like when you could rent it at Blockbuster. I was going through like a big Rodriguez Tarantino, Tarantino thing. Phase. So like I was, and I don't, you might even been over the one of those weekends. I remember I'd have somebody different spend the night every weekend. And this around the time my dad got like a new surround sound system. So I got his hand me down stereo. Okay. So I was having little movie parties in my room, even though I was like a teenager and it was like this and fucking desperado and yeah. <laughs> like fucking Pulp Fiction and everything. Just playing them. El Mariachi. I found that and just playing them all back to back. And it was, just, they were all fucking fun rides, you know? Oh yeah. And, uh, I don't know. It was fucking, this is a good, good movie. I've only seen the first season of the show, but it was really good. My wife binge watched the whole thing uh-huh. and what, I didn't sit and watch it with her, but every time that I'd come in the room and maybe sit for 30 minutes or we'd be eating dinner or something, everything I saw of it was good. Yeah. It's on the El Rey network, which is Robert Rodriguez's TV network that yeah. he made. And it's supposed to be for not like Latino fans, like Latino Americans specifically, like, exactly. like the already blended family. And, uh, he makes shows for that. And you know, is it, is it George Clooney? No, but they did a good job picking the Gecko brothers. You get to see Fez as a badass. <laughs> yes, you do actually. <laughs> and, uh, the lore is really cool. I don't remember if it's Mayan or Aztec. I don't remember, but, uh, snake venom is involved in the vampire ritual. Yeah. And that's why like Selma Hayek's like a snake vampire. And a lot of them are kind of reptilian or snake in some way. Yeah. And it was a, it was a really fucking cool way of doing it. Um, but yeah, the show's a, a little fucking fun diving. I couldn't tell you anything about the sequels. I'm not a sequel guy. And, and if a horror movie has like straight to video sequels and the original that was awesome wasn't straight to video, I don't even fucking bother half the time. And this is one of those times where I didn't. But I don't know. I, th- I think that's enough vampires for now. I think we've, there's a few more I'd like to cover. It'll be a little while before we had vampires again. The bad guy had to draw from, from, from stuff I knew I had seen. And my memory is what brought us ones that seemed out of left field on this one. Like you said, it's not really my, my jam. Right. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, let's put this aside until we need to come back to it. Um, and of course, anybody out there listening is like, you assholes should have talked about this. Tell us. Yeah. Shoot us an email. <laughs> Let us know. But now that we're done with vampires, it's time to move on. So tune in next week where we cover a trilogy that's near and dear to our heart, mainly for the original, when we cover Poltergeist. We've both been wanting to do this one for a while. Damn right. Uh, I wish our format didn't require a franchise so we could have just done the first one, but we'll do two and three also. (laughs) Hey, there's some good in there. We'll take one for the team on that. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) You guys definitely keep on sending comments to sbspodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe at sbspodcast on Instagram and Twitter. I've seen a couple of people start to do that. We share pictures if they're relevant with something that we explained on an episode on there. Thanks for listening and make sure you tune in next week. Quickie pod hours. <laughs>